welcome back, everyone. We are opening the lids for what has turned out to be a wonderfully long-awaited episode on uh, the pandemic, some zombie lore, some conspiracy theories, a little bit of what societal collapse looks like, and some chicken talk. So, what? I'm Kevin. <laughs> what? I'm Desiree. And thanks for tuning in to Two Coffins to Speak. Um, so we are doing um, two zombie movies, <laughs> and and neither of us are huge zombie fans. I'm I'm definitely not a zombie fan at all. Yeah, I enjoy it. I I, I enjoy a zombie film. I enjoy zombie cinema. I am not crazy about zombies. I miss the whole like zombie fad of the 2010s i think i've seen like two episodes of the walking dead same yeah Yeah. honestly zombies i just i've never had a super big interest of them and i know like with all kind of like the tropes of vampires werewolves things like that they all kind of have to follow this storyline or else that's not what they are um and the same thing goes for zombies but i've just it's never been something i've been super interested in um and that aside i think one of the first real horror movies i watched as a teenager before i even met you (laughs) was um what's that one where they're in the mall with the zombie baby dawn of the dead dawn of the dead and i'll admit as i think i was 15 16 years old it scared the fucking shit mm-hmm. out of me you watch the remake though the one yeah. with like thing rames yeah yeah, yeah yeah they're in the mall and everything mm-hmm. and there's just no hope for them whatsoever mm-hmm. um so it actually scared the shit out of me so zombies are actually one of those monsters yes i'm not super interested in them but i'd say out of all the monsters they're probably the ones i'm most fearful of yeah and then a pandemic happened <laughs> yeah so watching these movies while we're stuck at home during a pandemic i just have it in the back of my mind like damn, mm-hmm. <laughs> damn. yeah and ironically enough like and we've talked about this before in in like march and april we were still like watching some horror um but i think we both kind of toned it down a little bit in in what we were watching just for those first two months because everything felt a little too real yeah um like we could still watch like cheesy van helsing but watching something that was like real body horror or anything that was like kind of social roles collapse and what happens next it just it felt too real it felt too immediate yeah anything that was like a medical issue that like hit the town or something Mm -hmm. like that and it's an infection that was spreading which surprisingly takes place in a lot of fucking movies <laughs> um we just kind of steer cleared from because it, it just kind of hit a little too close mm-hmm. i was too sensitive to it i was <laughs> like eh, i don't like uh, this right now <laughs> yeah i i reverted back to my comfort space which was like demon satan haunting <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, and i revert back just to goofy shit like yeah. what we do in the shadows is just my absolute comfort yeah like i think at that point was when i watched beelzebub on on shutter which was phenomenal um but it was just like oh this is what i like i needed to like live in that world a little bit yeah we even watched was it like a week or two ago what's that one it's it's on shutter it's a new one on shutter and it's a bunch oh, of these girls host. and they're in a zoom call 
and they're trying yeah. to do um like a ritual in a zoom call they're doing a seance a seance yeah, yeah. and shit starts to get a little too real but how that movie was shot was brilliant it was brilliant and it was just like whoa if you this have is shutter, too real right now <laughs> you know, if you have shutter and you have been living in zoom as as i and and many others have like check out host i I will definitely good. say that that was that was one of those films that was of its time. Yeah, um, my lame kudos. ass was doing a puzzle while you were watching the movie, <laughs> and like every now and then I was looking up and I was like, "Oh shit! Yeah, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, and I'm just gonna call this shit right now. the uh, the main care The main character is in like the friend who organized the seance. She was in on that shit. She knew what she was doing. I don't, I don't I care. Don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I think the lady who ran the seance like set it up. Maybe. Maybe. Watch it, guys. It, it's a good Host, movie. On it's, it's a fun little movie to watch. For sure. So so obviously for like our first few episodes, we kind of focused on those those things that were in our comfort area. And then as we were approaching like late July, all of the conversations about reopening schools started happening. Um, and we also started like kind of changing our own lives to fit what just felt like the inevitable COVID reality. Um, and so like in, in what would you say? I think it was June. Was it May or June where we just, we got chickens. Like we got chickens. I was like, how the hell are you going to bring? We started. What did you mean by chickens? <laughs> yeah, guys, we got chickens. We I'm, got a, chickens. I'm a little bit obsessed with them. We started gardening more. I should say you started gardening more. Um, and like we're not alone in in the sense that there's a lot of folks who are kind of doing these I made a sourdough starter. I we, We're <laughs> totally doing all the trends that everybody's shitting on. And I don't care. It's making us happy yeah and and so then sitting with that thought baking way too much bread not in my opinion (laughs) i am quite happy (laughs) kevin got me a kitchen aid so i could bake more bread i am i am determined that doctors will one day announce that in order to remain resistant to covid you have to keep your carbs intake above like 80 a day (laughs) i'm golden (laughs) Uh, I got you, baby. I got you. Oh, save my life. Um, but so in thinking about that and in thinking about like what ended up being these terrifying conversations of what like school reopening in America would be in the age of COVID um, with like plexiglass between teachers and students and students like like in lunchrooms for class of 12 kids spread around and just the total dystopian nature of what this Mm -hmm. conversation was like we really started to think about okay what are what are films what are movies that relate to this pandemic not in like a oh my god society's collapsing kind of way but in like a how do you legitimately stay sane how do you keep going how do you keep taking care of the things that matter to you when you literally have like an infectious disease at your door and COVID is horrible guys like it is really bad what's going on um but it's not a zombie apocalypse which i'm fucking grateful for but but 2020 it it could happen at this point i would not be surprised it's one of those things right where it's like this is gonna sound terrible and i don't believe this but like 
fuck us if it was because people don't take it seriously. Like I know. Literally, it's as if people never watched a single fucking zombie movie in their life. And instead, what we get is people who walk around saying that, like, God didn't want us to wear masks. And all of this obscene and obnoxious just, like, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I'm going to talk a little bit later on about, like, conspiratorial thinking and how that works and and when it happens in societies. But all of those things led us to watch these two films. So the two films we're going to talk about is Cargo and Train to Busan. Um, And both of these are... Both of these are what I would consider non-traditional zombie movies. I don't know if you would agree, and I'd argue I can argue why, but I, I want your thoughts. I would say Cargo isn't very traditional, but I feel Train to Busan is kind of traditional with a spin on it. So I think I think what makes Train to Busan slightly non-traditional is the quickness with which the like infection takes hold um the zombies that were in that mall movie that i saw i keep forgetting the name of what one dawn of the dead they were fast as fuck weren't they they move fast but i'm talking about like the time between getting bit and becoming a zombie in train to busan is the fastest i've ever seen yeah that's and and maybe maybe it's super traditional and that's just like their spin on it that makes it different but for me that's that's what set train to busan apart aside from what was like an amazing story of 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 parenting of capitalism of all of these things yeah so those are the two films we're going to talk about that's some of the social stuff we're going to talk about i'm just going to put it out there too if there ever was a zombie apocalypse Mm -hmm. i give myself maybe 24 hours whole lot of running all that cardio <laughs> yeah i would find a place to hide and that would be my best bet because i i can't run to although save not in cargo damn life cargo i i would go the cargo route yeah and... just slow push them <laughs> out of the way just get on my way just put a stick with nah, me on the end of it that. and you're good to go Nah, i would go the cargo route of just like slow riverboat <laughs> slow riverboat slow riverboat yeah they, they, they were not and we'll talk about it but they had no speed to them whatsoever Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would survive in cargo. I think I would yeah. survive for a decent amount of time. Train to Busan, I'd probably be the first person Ooh. to die. All right, which one do you want to talk about first? Um, let's go with Train to Busan because that's the notes I have first. Cool. All right. So Train to Busan came out in 2016. Uh, director Yeon Sung Ho um, and released by Next Entertainment World. So this was one that uh, really made... Made a splash in terms of streaming horror. Kevin's actually been trying to get me to watch this movie for years. What year did it come out? 2016. Yeah, so probably since 2016, <laughs> you've been trying to get me to watch it. Um, the thing is, if Kevin watches a movie before me and he gives hint at all to it being even the slightest bit sad, mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Because if he says it's sad, it's going to hurt me. <laughs> it is sad. So I avoided four. guys for four years <laughs> to watch this movie. It was always on my watch list. Was I right? I was always like, yeah, maybe another day. Was it sad? It broke me. Yeah. It broke me. <laughs> it, it was definitely sad. Uh-huh. And we'll get to the end scene. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't shed a tear yeah. because you would make fun of me. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite things. and, and I'm. But it was there. I sucked it back in. <laughs> I wouldn't have made fun of you. I wouldn't have made fun. I think what's what 
ends up happening, and I admit that this is terrible, is you will watch a sad movie after I have watched a sad movie. And so, like, I have You have had, no emotion at so all. So I've had my time to be emotional with it. Yeah. When I first watched Train to Busan, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. Yeah, but if you see something before I do, literally, I'm sitting at yeah. the end of and the then, couch. So that's and what I, I mean. I see you out of the corner of my eye with, like, a smile because you're just waiting for I'm me waiting to cry. Because I'm waiting for you to have the same reaction I did. It's not a judgmental thing as in, like, how dare you cry. It's literally like, oh, I did this. I'm waiting for you to do this. <laughs> Yeah, but then like I'm literally sitting there holding back tears and you're like, even if I let one fall, just one tear fall down my cheek, you're like, are you crying? <laughs> just like, I hate you. You do the same damn thing. You. you do it to me as well. When we first watched Coco. Oh, God. That is one movie and call us lame, whatever. It is it is a Disney movie. But Yo, if, I held if out you haven't seen that until movie, Mama Coco. That was it. You will sob. You will that was you it. will sob. And if you don't sob, you're not human. Until Mama Coco, I was like, ah, whatever. And then Mama Coco hit and I was like, <laughs> I think we both ugly cried. Yeah, for a and little we bit. just accepted it. Train to Busan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> so Train to Busan is a South Korean film set in South Korea. Um, and we're introduced to our main character, who is the father. I don't know that we ever actually get his name. Hold on. Let me check um, my notes. He is Appa, as in like Korean for father, but I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking. I know the okay. daughter's name is Suwon. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So while you're finding the name, so the father, um, who is our kind of male lead character, um, is a hedge fund manager. He is very much so kind of uh, 1980s American-ish um, leader of the universe, stock market type style guy. We're starting off the film in his office. He's like eating BK, talking about a uh, chemical company that they are recently selling off on. Um, and he is preparing for his young daughter's birthday, which is going to be the very next day. Uh, we can tell that there's some type of uh, marital issue that happened. Father and mother are split. Sunan is living with her dad and his mom, her grandma, in his very fancy apartment. Yeah. He uh, doesn't even know what to get his daughter for her birthday. Like, he asks his assistant, like, what do kids like? Yeah. 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 So very, very much so in that, like, 1980s wealthy dad character type archetype. Um comes home yeah like Where 19 did that come from because so you if you think about like I 19 did not get any 1980s vibe whatsoever you're thinking aesthetics but i'm thinking about like 1980s male father lead character in like american films they were wealthy upper middle class wealthy devoted to their work uh making good money businessmen type of thing i still think that can take place nowadays but yeah yeah no. fair enough um so, comes home, um, brings his daughter a gift, which was a Wii, which was the third Wii that he had bought her. Second Wii. <laughs> no, third. There third. was another one She in had there? one set up. She had a box behind it, and this was the third one. No, sir. Yeah. Daddy Damn, I did not catch that. And so, his daughter, uh, who is fucking adorable. <laughs> um, I kept saying throughout this movie how cute she was. Yeah. Like, uh his daughter essentially says what I want for my birthday is I want to go see mom who lives in Busan. 
Um, which is an hour away. Yep, which was an hour away by train. And so uh, after a little bit of back and forth, he finally agrees that he will go with his daughter on the train to Busan. There we get the title of the film. Uh, it is a very short amount of time before things go awry, and we have a shaky, bleeding um, character who makes its way, who makes her way onto the train, as well as a very, very disheveled, what we are um, made to assume to be a homeless man, who is also like snuck onto the bathroom of the train. The homeless guy is muttering about everyone being dead, as the younger female who is in there, kind of bleeding from the leg. Gets a little shaky, has what looks to be a seizure, and becomes a zombie. Now, one zombie on an enclosed train quickly becomes horde of zombies as they are moving from cabin to cabin. Like we said before, what made this movie different is that if you were bitten by these zombies, it took... I don't know. What Three do you think? Three seconds? Like, under, like it literally under 20 was seconds. A under bite. 20 seconds. You maybe get a little bit of the sweats, you shake for two seconds, and then bam, your eyes are glazed over yeah. and white, and you're like looking for the next like neck to bite. Ravenous, ravenously. Mm -hmm. um, and so, as you can imagine, there's a significant amount of the movie, which is like, how do you survive on a train filled with zombies? Uh, we then get introduced to a few other characters, including a baseball team um, with kind of like two young uh, a young couple uh i couldn't quite tell if they were like an actual couple she wanted to be a couple they, i don't think they were a couple i mm -hmm. think she's definitely a girl that is favored by mm, like most of the guys there but yeah. she has this one crush on this guy who's extremely shy yeah and he is her target <laughs> yeah and then you have my my one of my favorites uh, I'm going to call everything my favorite in this film. Um, one of my favorite pair of characters, which were the sisters, these two older <laughs> sisters yeah. uh, who were like sitting on the train talking about like the boiled eggs that they brought to eat with them on the trip. Um, Her sister's like, it's an hour away. Put that <laughs> put that away. What are you doing? And uh, we're then also introduced to this other young but adult couple um, who the the woman in the couple is pregnant. That um, was my favorite couple mm -hmm. out and, of all the characters in this. They were fantastic. Yeah, and and the man is he is smart and and funny. Um, he's but witty. He, he's definitely he's quick very to witty. have a response. He's to very something. witty, and and he's the bronze. Like he is the muscle. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even look like super muscular or anything like but that he i mean wrecks. he thick like, he's got a thickness <laughs> to him wrecks. but Love like him. yeah and then the last character that i'll talk about uh that plays their way through this is um what we find out is a coo of a major corporation he's an older man he's in a business suit he is exactly what you imagine when i say an older man in a business suit who's like super wealthy um so they're all on this train. We have the outbreak with the zombies. They're going from car to car to car, trying to make their way to safety. Um, one of the things that ends up happening is the father, uh, the father of Sun Yen, is constantly leaving this kid places. All the time. <laughs> um, He's just like, hey, sit here. I'll be right back. The train's conductor then attempts to make a stop at a nearby station. Uh, 
um, in order for all of the people who are okay and on board, who are uninfected and on board to make their way out. When they stop at the station, they find that the station is in fact filled with zombies. Um, our main character, the father, attempted to make a call before arriving at the station to essentially pull in a favor so that he and his daughter could make their way past the military checkpoint easily. Um, when he does that, he in fact actually kind of screws himself and his daughter even more. After they make a daring escape, which takes a few more than a few characters with them, they're now back on the train. As they get back on the train, the groups are split, and so the very wealthy older businessman is on one side of the car with a group of people, and um, we have our our father, expected father, Sunen, the uh, the young Sun An. Sorry, Sun An. My apologies. It's okay. Um, the I'm like waiting for you to slip and call her Susan. <laughs> no, like, no, no, I wouldn't Kevin. do that. No. <laughs> um, the um, the young like wannabe couple are all on the other side of the car, and as they try and make their way through, what we find is essentially like unexpected loss after unexpected loss. Right? Kind yeah. of. This is the usual zombie movie thing that happens. You're always waiting to see who's going to make it and who won't. Yeah. Um, needless to say, after some very sad deaths, I'm going to kind of escalate through this. After some very sad deaths, we make our way to the point where we have kind of our, our main cast of characters get to the end of the train. They're told that we're going to try and make it all the way to Busan because Busan's fortresses or Busan's defenses have held. Um, once they do, in or, or I should say in order to do that, they have to get off the train to board another train when they do that is when most of our main characters die away. And as they are chasing this one last um, just engine car that is going to make its way to Busan that this wealthy, that wealthy COO was on himself only to find him bit. Um, as the father is trying to fight off this now zombie wealthy COO, he is bitten. Um, and he has to make the decision to leave Sunan in the care of um, the pregnant woman who had lost her husband. He was bitten. And the two of them make it to Busan, but they have to essentially walk through this tunnel towards the armed military guards that are at the entry, waiting to shoot anything that moves. And the only reason that they don't shoot them is because she started singing the song that she learned for her uh, school recital for her father when her father never showed up because he was at work. So that's Train to Busan. I did a terrible job of, of getting through all of the emotion that this movie actually gets across, but partially because like there isn't a piece of that movie that isn't important did an amazing job in making you either love or hate every character. When, um, so do you, do you want to start going through like chunks of the movie? Yeah. To kind of break it down. Cause you pretty much said the whole movie yeah. in your thing. I thought we were going to do just a short little summary and then it's go hard. through it's, it. And it's, you're it's, like, fuck no, I'm going to give it all. <laughs> it's really hard to summarize that one and not, yeah, yeah, go for it. You could have been like, hey, they needed to go on a train to get to Busan. Shit went down. <laughs> but no, you went all in. 
That's a teaser. That's a trailer. Yeah, there we go. Just little trailers. Um, Do you want to start off like in the beginning? Just kind of like the feeling that we get. And I don't have his name written down. I actually don't think his name was ever said throughout it. It I don't think so. Father. Yeah. Um, So kind of the first feelings that I got off him from him right the back was like asshole. Uh, Yeah. He's got a young kid at home. You know, you see that. He's working his ass off and everything. And not that there's anything bad about that, but I think it's like within 10 minutes of the movie, he's asking his assistant, what do kids like? Mm -hmm. You know, he's on the phone with his ex-wife. They're arguing about his daughter and she's just like, don't forget it's her birthday. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't forget. And it's like, oh, that's why he needed the gift. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, shortly you see his big, beautiful house, his mom that's inside the house who's taking care of his kid and his kid is hiding in her bedroom under the sheets, talking with her mom, what I'm assuming is like FaceTime or some sort of web call. And the feeling I got is just sadness. There was no balloons. There was no cake. There was... Mm -hmm. You know, her bedroom was cute and everything. The kid has everything she needs technically, but it's that missing feeling of just like love. Like there's no love there. Yeah. It was very sanitary. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, And along those lines, his mom, her grandma who lives with them. So, like, we get the sense that, that like, this marriage has fallen apart and there's the phone call where, you're, where they're essentially talking about, like, let's not go through an actual divorce. Um, but his mom kind of calls him out and, like, calls him out a few times and is just like, you need to try harder. Like, you 100% need to try harder. And I think that's part of what makes Sunan so, like, such an endearing little kid is because, like, she gives it to her dad like she oh yeah lays on that little kid attitude in the best way yeah he knows he fucked up by i guess which is the third week Mm -hmm. and she's like all i want all that's going to make me happy is if you just bring me to mom and he's trying to make excuses we'll do it another weekend and she's like no no no. you've said multiple times we will do it other times i want this now yeah. He missed her recital. You know, his mom said that she re- he she recorded it for him. He mm-hmm. saw like he watches the recording of her and it's sad. She's in the recital. She doesn't look happy at all. She's like partially singing this song with like no emotion. And then mm-hmm. she forgets the words to the song. Mm-hmm. And then the kids start laughing at her and everything. Yeah. But then we, we find out that she didn't forget the words. She didn't forget the words. She no. didn't want to sing it because she had learned it. For her father. Uh-huh. And she looks up and he's not there yeah. at all. So he a dick. Um, to continue on with this dickness <laughs> of the father, when he finally caves and they go to Busan, the second that they get on that damn train, mm-hmm. he's either texting and working or I noticed he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. It is one hour. It is mm-hmm. one hour away. It is your kid's birthday. Talk to your child (laughs) it's an hour where your children are (laughs) talk to your damn kid Mm -hmm. nope he decides either i'm gonna work on my phone i'm gonna fall asleep or i'm just gonna keep leaving sue on i'ma just walk away (laughs) yeah the amount of times that i yelled at the tv like stop leaving your baby stop it that's just such a basic thing and that's not even like listen that's not even like zombie apocalypse rules 
that's like life rules. <laughs> life rules is stop leaving your kids places. Yeah. Please don't. And it's actually her that realizes while his ass is fucking snoozing away, mm-hmm. um, you know, she starts noticing like a commotion going on on the train. And she's a kid. She's curious and she bored. So she gets up and she decides to follow the commotion. And that's where she's, you know, what is it? The conductor or something. The people who are helping out on the train. Mm -hmm. um, She notices there's a man in the bathroom and she's with these two adults that are talking to the man. Yeah. And this scene stuck out to me because the man, they're assuming that he's either strung out on something. He's homeless. Yeah. Something's going on with him, and they're just trying to ask him for his ticket. Mm-hmm. And while this is going on, Suan starts talking to... Is it the guy, the, the COO dude, or is that him yeah, in the that's, beginning? Yeah, that's him okay. in the beginning. So she's talking to that dude, and he's just like, oh, stay in school or else like you'll uh-huh. end up like him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, my mother said that we don't talk ill you know, of people like this or mm-hmm. something like that. And the guy was just like, well, your mother must be one of them. Like yeah. he said... He said something along the lines fuck of that. that and it's just like, dude, go fuck yourself. So I have a lot to say about that guy. Yeah. One of the ways that we're introduced to him is because um, that COO character, that very wealthy older guy. Uh, is... Oh, he said, sorry. My mom said people who say that. Oh, she said, hey, kid, if you don't finish school, you will end up like him. Mm-hmm. And she says, my mom said pe- people who say that aren't nice. And his response was, your mom probably didn't finish school either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like he is that like that character is that amoral out for himself individual the entire film. Mm. Uh, we're introduced to him because he asks the conductor to essentially kick out what he said looks like a very weird guy. And it's that that what we're presuming is a homeless man. And I'm so, so glad that he is not the source of the infection, that homeless guy, because I would have been so bored and upset with that trope mm, yes um and even like so bringing it into to our current reality one of the things with with covid is you know society especially american society so very much so loves to look down their nose at at people who don't have permanent housing um, people who might be going through crises and things like that. And they either look down their nose very like aggressive, judgmental, you are lesser than, or they do the same thing but doing it through the lens of charity, right? Yeah. Um, and then a pandemic like this hits and it's like, nah. It doesn't matter this what you are. Like y- you are spreading this in the suburbs. You are spreading this in the grocery store. Like yeah. you are spreading this at your church it is not a matter of your cleanliness and your your housing situation. What that housing situation is doing, unfortunately, is is putting folks who don't have secure permanent housing at a greater risk of dying when they might have been treatable or, or might have like survived with treatment. But so this presumably homeless guy was was in the bathroom and he's muttering about like everyone's dead, everyone's dead, everyone's dying, and it ends up being this kind of I I mean this is a this is a, an assumption but this kind of like middle class ish teenage girl. Yeah, it pans <laughs> out. The source of the it infection. pans out because while all of that's going on, it does it shows this 
she looks like a like young 20s maybe maybe yeah or maybe even a teenager i can't really tell because she's stressed the fuck out a zombie Um, and she locks herself in a the other bathroom and you just see like she's got blood coming she's kind of shaking a little bit she's not looking so hot and does she lock herself in the bathroom am i making that up no she does for a little bit uh, she's in the bathroom for a little bit, but she ends up. But then she ends up stepping out. Yeah, having kind of like a seizure on, on the, the floor. ground, and like one of the train like hostesses, mm-hmm. hostess. Yeah, I'm not sure. What they I, would I, be I don't. I, I I don't know. I don't know trains very well either. Uh, we don't have hostesses on our train. No. It sounds like a damn hostess cupcake. I'm gonna stop <laughs> saying that. Um, but she goes to a sister and she's like, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? And they're trying to call for medical help. And that's when shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. As this woman is trying to help this other woman who has fallen on the ground, who something medically is not right with her, she gets bitten. And then, like we said, within three seconds, mm-hmm. zombified. And then that's when it starts. Yeah. And panic ensues. And actually, while this is happening, too, because I wrote it down... While this is all happening, what I assume is like towards the front of the train, people in the back of the train are starting to get the news reports Mm -hmm. that something is spreading. Something is going on. And even as actually I'm remembering now, my brain is slow. It's slowly coming to (laughs) me, guys. Uh, When they were taking off at the train station, Suan looked out and some guy got straight up fucking tackled. And she's like, oh, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. And the TVs call it violent riots. Yes. How timely um because this is what happens right is like zombie movies zombie movies have always been critiques of power structures right they've always been critiques of power structures um shout out to andrew subasati and faculty of horror which like we're just gonna shout them out every episode every fucking episode but like (laughs) with their work on night of the living dead um and Super big shout out to Dr. Robin Means Coleman um, with Horror Noir that, you know, focuses on Night of the Living Dead as well, as well as like um, the like the cultural appropriation of zombies in white horror cinema. Zombies have always been a critique of power structures and they've always been a critique of like who gets to be comfortable in society normally, because when that those social structures fall apart, it's very telling who is quick to adapt and, and learn to survive and who is not. Yeah. Right. Because those folks in the back of the train who are like watching the TV on violent riots are their world is shook. The idea, the idea that all of these systems of power and oppression wouldn't keep them safe. The idea that they wouldn't be there to keep them from being inconvenienced at all shakes them to their core and even even sunan's dad like throughout three quarters of the film what is his strategy for survival just take care of yourself like don't even care about anybody else but on top of that he's always trying to pull strings yes like he's constantly calling his assistant he's, he's like depending on other people yeah he's calling friends he knows calling in favors and stuff like that because for him like the idea that his systems his networks his cultural capital and his financial capital couldn't keep him safe he can't imagine a world in which that's not true yes you know and the coo does the same goddamn thing fuck that he guy orders 
he orders the doors closed. He orders the we'll, we'll get the to captain that. Listen, to keep moving forward. We'll get to that because that's a little us a little later on. I'm jumping around. Yeah, you are. Fuck you're that e- guy. You're everywhere today. Um, Reel it back in, Kevin. <laughs> Reel it back in. We're taking it bit by bit. Come on now. All right. What's the next bit you want to go so on? So next now? bit, things are starting to spread on the train. Um, Suan's dad, of course, wasn't next to her because he's got the dad of the fucking year award. Uh, but he finds her, grabs her, picks her up, runs to like one of the carts in the back. She's always whatever. at a bathroom, though. I'll give him that. Like this kid hangs out in front of bathrooms yeah. of the train all the time. But as this is going on, as they're in a safe spot for a whole like two minutes, he receives a phone call. Mm-hmm. And it's his mother. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't sound very great. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell she's sounding kind of haggard, kind of out of breath, like something happened. And he's kind of getting the hint of what's going on, but not really, because I think everybody at this point, it's still shock. Like, mm-hmm. they're just reacting. They're not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but they're buying much, the toilet paper. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> stocking on them rolls of toilet paper um but pretty much as he's on the phone with her you know she's just going on about how much you know she loves suan she wants she's always wanted suan to be her everything but all suan wants is her mother da, da, da. and like she says and her mother is a bitch like mm-hmm. all this stuff you can just hear like this anger that his mother has and it's just like i think personally it's just sadness because they everybody has that chance to be that beautiful family and it did not work out um but as he's trying to talk to her and stuff you can hear that she's changing on the other end and then the line goes dead yeah yeah he hears her go a little bit rabid and then the line goes dead but you know you know what my big take from that scene was though he didn't there wasn't any type of major emotional response like he heard this, oh, he from was the dad. Yeah, he was like, I said, Father of the Year award. Listen, he is not. Yeah, but that's like Son of the Year too now. Listen, he he's got all the awards. Yeah, and, and this is one of the questions that I had for you in terms of how you t- like your take on this film. Is he a redeemed character in any way? No, I I don't. And we'll get to the end. Kevin, you jump in. Yeah, again. I'm jumping. Fuck it. Because but, like I think back even to the episode to like when we were talking about Devil's Backbone and we fought about whether or not um Oh, what was his name now? The young gentleman who we went back and forth of whether or not he was a redeemed character. Sorry with a J. Yeah. You know who we're talking about. Yeah, I know. Out there in podcast about. world too. Um and I I don't I agree I don't think he's a redeemed or redeemable character because even in his like singular moment of sacrifice at the end of the film it's not until the absolute ends yeah ends that like he starts having those beautiful images of his daughter when she was first born yeah yeah and that's it And even then, throughout the whole entire process of him, you know, working through the train, you know, being there for the woman who is pregnant, you know, being there for some of the other characters, it's not really pushed onto him. Which, by the way, by the way, when the train first turns into a cluster, right, and the uh, pregnant woman and, and her husband 
are trying to make their way to safety, which motherfucker closes the door on them? Mm-hmm. Father of the year. That's oh, yeah, who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He's keeps just... the door closed. He almost doesn't let them in to safety until finally his daughter was like, nope, I know them. Yeah. And then lets them in. Yeah. That Listen. guy. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Because yeah. there's that scene, too, where... You know, they're all stuck in one of the little cabins. I don't know what the hell they're called. Cabins, carts. Yeah. What trains, cargo. I don't know. Train space. I don't train know. Train space. They're, <laughs> they're in one of the sections of the damn trains. I can't think of the word right now. Um, but Suan is in a seat and one of those older women are in a seat. The That old couple, the two sisters. Mm-hmm. And she gets up and she offers her seat to yeah. the other old woman. And she's like, come here. Like, come take my seat. Please take my seat. And they're like, you are a lovely child like Mm -hmm. thank you so much and her dad is just like listen you don't do that for anybody like you watch out for yourself especially Mm -hmm. now and she mentioned she mentioned she's just like grandma's knees always hurt like Mm -hmm. this kid sees shit kids see shit people they're not dumb like they're absolutely brilliant Mm -hmm. like i hate when people shit on little kids it aggravates me they're very smart um and they, they see notice everything. everything. They really do. They notice everything. And that's and and, and I, they're damn honest about sorry, it. Sorry, <laughs> audience. I am bouncing around everywhere. And that's just the way this episode's gonna be for my end. But that's what absolutely drives me insane with this conversation that we're currently having in our reality around like reopening schools. Because Kevin's kids... a little salty. He's just gonna <sighs> keep bringing it up. <laughs> you don't think kids are gonna notice like that school looks so different because it becomes life or death yeah you don't think it's going to have a lasting effect on kids to be six to eight hours a day in a space with their best friends and not be able to hug or high five or Mm -hmm. anything and god forbid gods forbid anything happens to a kid or an adult and then those kids are going to ask themselves constantly did i fuck up did i did i put my mask down like the idea that kids aren't capable of processing these major situations, I, I find to be total and utter bullshit. Like, yeah. kids are processing this pandemic right now. They might not have all of the vocabulary to explain to you or I or their parents what their processed emotions are, but that doesn't mean they're not there. And they're capable of understanding. They're capable of understanding that shit is different. Absolutely. And and Sunan is, is a perfect example of that as a character. Because as soon as she sees that this has become a dangerous situation, that little kid is looking out for everyone else. Not only do you have um, the uh, not only do you have the the older ladies, but you also have um, the homeless guy who who like she looks out for when they stop at that little pit stop station. Mm-hmm. Adorable. Perfect little child. Perfect, perfect little child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I will say is, you know, based off of that scene and everything with her giving her seat up, other people on the train start noticing that father of the year is a piece of shit. <laughs> and one of the main characters that notice is this lovely gentleman and his pregnant wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he flat out says to him, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he calls, I think he calls him an asshole. 
and I doubt it. Yeah, he calls him an asshole, and his wife is like, "Hey, don't say that in front of his kid." <laughs> and she just goes, "No, nah, I get it." <laughs> yeah, she's like, "People say that all the time. <laughs> like, nah, it's, it's no it's shock to me." <laughs> and then the lady's just like, "Here, have a gummy worm." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So I I want to skip ahead, but I want to see what you want to go to next because I want to skip to when they come back from that pit stop station and they're split up. I'm just looking through my notes. Um, I will say that pretty much after that scene that I mentioned, mm-hmm. that uh, lovely pregnant lady and her husband pretty much take Sue on as their own yeah during like this entire journey they've made it you know their job to keep an eye on her because her father won't and Mm -hmm. he just straight up here kids sit here stay 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 here stay stay Mm -hmm. when in all of those moments she could have died like 10 freaking times (laughs) if she listened to you and actually stayed Mm -hmm. um so yeah they pretty much take her on yeah yeah yeah, 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 I'm good. Okay, cool. So I want to jump to that part where they're split up because, oh boy, is this the emotional like roller coaster piece of this film. Um, and so at this point, what's happened is just to kind of set the scene, you have father of the year, you have soon to be father. <laughs> Has no name, father of the year. <laughs> father of the year, you have badass, awesome, soon to be father. And then you have that young uh, baseball player, right? And so... They get a call from the daughter, from the soon-to-be mom, uh, with the homeless guy and one of the two older um, older sisters. All four of them are trapped in car 14, mm-hmm. right? Are, are trapped in the bathroom in car 14. And they're currently in, like, car 19. Car 9. They're in car nine. So they got to go from car nine to car 14. I thought they only had to go over like four cars, four or five cars. Yeah. Now you're talking nine about. Nine to 14. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's, yeah. Five cars. It's late, guys. I'm <laughs> fucking tired. Um, and so to do this, they strap up and they like, they're taking tape and like athletes, um, Kind of like arm wraps, the way that like boxers have arm wraps sometimes, taping their arms up. They had taken one of the police riot shields from the station that they stopped at, and the baseball player has his baseball bat, and they are just going to go car to car, mm-hmm. not necessarily clearing it because they they don't they have just anything. Have to get through. They yeah. just got to get through. And one of the things that they have found out about these zombies is that if they don't see or hear you. They're not going to react. They're going to stop. And yeah. every time that they get into a tunnel, these zombies have like cataracts. I don't fucking know. Their <laughs> eyes are cloudy as hell. So mm-hmm. you can tell that they don't have good vision to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the second that they hit a tunnel and it goes dark on the train and not even completely dark, just a little dark on the train, they can't yeah. see anything. They, yeah, can't, they see. can't see as soon as they hit the they tunnels. They can't see well. So they're fully dependent on hearing Mm -hmm. like listening to everything so these guys realize as long as they're quiet and they time the tunnels right they can get through these trains pretty well without having to completely drain their energy yeah kicking zombie ass yeah and so what i appreciated about this scene is that you know one of the things that like zombie movies do all the time in like 
in a way that you can only see so often before you just get bored of it is the the classic like mid mid zombie movie scene where they have strapped up with guns and they're just gonna like blow and they just zombie brains wreck. yeah or yeah. or you know like there's also the comedic version of it which is like zombie land and now you've got hummers you know flying through the sky falling on people yeah yeah, but this was such a different version of that because they didn't like they didn't actually take out many if any of those zombies no they they pushed them to to the side them yeah yeah they like push them to the side your boy is like elbowing them left and right with his taped up elbows but they literally and they're not they're just trying to make it through to get to their loved ones. Yeah, and what I noticed too is like these zombies aren't easy to get through. Where you see in other movies it's just one shot, one hit and they fall to the ground. Yeah. These guys are getting pushed, punched, hit with fucking baseball bats yeah. and they're popping back up. Yeah. Like so it's not easy to take these guys out, especially when, you know, 5, 10, 15 of them are coming at you full force. Yeah. And so, spoiler, they make it. they get they get to the 14th car to their loved ones Uh, uh, uh. hold on back it the hell up because there is one scene and it hurt me where prior to them getting to the car they get to one of the carts where it's all the baseball players that had turned into zombies yeah and unfortunately that poor boy just stood frozen like he couldn't do it so they were down a guy they were completely down a guy and they didn't even shit on him for it they literally looked at him they looked at him and they were like we got you bro like we got you like these are your loved ones like you can't you can't hit them you can't hurt them but at any point if you have to please fucking do it um so yeah that that was tough prior to them getting to that and thankfully they got through it. Yeah. It was tight, but they got through it. But that is when Father of the Year had to step the fuck up and, you know. <laughs> For the first time in forever. And realize, <laughs> I have to fucking do this. I have to help somebody else to get to my child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's an awesome point because if, I seriously, if this was an American movie, the dialogue of that scene would have been so fucking different. Yeah, they would have kicked their asses. Like the dialogue. I mean, they did kick their asses, would, but no, it it would have been have picking had, on the kid. It would have been like, come yeah. on, man, like get over it. And they're not the same anymore. It's not them. <laughs> yeah, they never said that. Yeah, once. it was none of that. But so, all right, past that trauma, and they get to the to the fourteenth cart, and they reunite with their loved ones. So now, what they need to do is they need to get from there to um essentially the end the the cabin or car or whatever right before the engine because that's where they feel they'll be able to block themselves off and be safe but that ladies and gentlemen is where our coo friend has essentially created his own little fiefdom um because they have they have closed up the car um they have uh blocked off the glass so that the zombies couldn't see them no they didn't yeah, they did. They didn't block off the glass. Yeah, they did at that point. But then, um, then as as like our main characters make their way there, they refuse to open the door to them. Um, and so the only reason they know that they're on their way is because 
that uh, that younger girl who is like the love interest of the baseball player gets a call from him on her cell phone saying that like they're going to go We're over there. there yeah. yeah like please open up the door when they're there and the COO immediately imme- almost instinctually and the thing is and this is what I would argue I would argue he doesn't believe his own bullshit but immediately he starts stirring the pot and saying how do we know they're not infected we need to look out for ourselves do any of you want to let them in what happens if they're bitten yeah. they're not like us yeah right he starts immediately implanting in everybody's minds like screw the fact that they're alive and they're they made it to the other side of this damn car it's us against them yeah and so i so i have a real big problem with the argument of human nature right i have a real real big problem with the idea that oh humans just do this in in really bad times in really bad times humans will always turn to us versus them and i call bullshit i call utter bullshit i think in my view of of like the history of of panics and of pandemics of crises of societal collapse it's not human nature to become us versus them it's the nature of people in power right it is always those in positions of power and privilege who see a benefit in creating an us versus them narrative right because for for everyone else who has already kind of gotten used to the idea that our survival our comfort our safety and security is not a guarantee this is just another bad if not worse situation right you take even our current reality of covid and how many people have gone out of their way to create mutual aid to create systems that are like supporting others whether it's like real tangible support of delivering food and and like schools and teachers stepped up last spring and summer in a way that i don't think i've ever seen or ever could imagine that like um, our profession could and were delivering food they were delivering gift bags they were just visiting people outside of windows and all of those things but besides that you also online you had you know artists and musicians reaching out to support each other you know we saw more people buying art from from folks online just to try and like support people who they knew weren't getting their regular business in other spaces mm-hmm. So the idea that we as humans are just automatically going to turn on each other, I consider that bullshit. I think it is I think it is people in power, people who are used to using others that will be the ones who always turn to an us versus them narrative. That's why this presidential election is the way it is. That's why our politics are the way they are is because there is a there is a group of people in power who still fucking have that power but who see themselves slowly losing it and will lash out and create an us versus them narrative to hold on to that power. And that's what that COO guy did in, in that train. And it fucking worked. Mm-hmm. It worked because they kept the door closed on them until they literally smashed it open. So what was funny was the two people that are in that train car with 
the supposed non-infected people and the COO and everything. The two mm-hmm. characters that we know are the love interest of the baseball player mm-hmm. and the sister, one of the older sisters. So she's on that train. Mm-hmm. She assumes that her sister had passed away already. Something yeah. took her and everything. She's sad. She's sitting in her sorrow. The entire time that they were, you know, debating and everything like that, not letting these people in and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. she sees like her sister in the background, right? Yes. So am I jumping? My yeah, brain is mushy. You're not jumping, but um, so they crack the glass. Okay. They yeah, crack yeah, the yeah. glass, but after they crack the glass, everyone runs to the next car because there's one more car over. And as they're running to the next car, what we have is our boy, um, who is the soon-to-be father, the expectant father, he's holding one of the last doors closed. Yeah, Uh, so I did jump because I completely forgot about this. He's holding one of the last doors closed, and as he, like, pushes to hold it closed, one of the zombies gets his arm. Yeah. And as soon as it gets his arm, he looks at asshole father and he just says, like, get her out of there. Like, yeah. go. So he holds on for as long as he can. They run. They get through the broken glass door. They're running now to the next compartment. As they're running to the next compartment, the other older sister who was with them, um, I think she I think she trips. I think, I, I think she does the classic horror movie trip and fall. <laughs> no, I don't think she tripped and fall. I think she was just... There is this weird moment because even her sister says, like, you're foolish. Why did you stop for even a second? Mm -hmm. I think she realized her sister was on that cart and she was just staring at her. Mm -hmm. And because she took that millisecond of not focusing on herself is when the zombies got her. So the zombies get her. So we get the the young baseball player makes it through. Asshole father of the year makes it through. Um, His daughter and the uh pregnant woman make it through they lock up the door now everyone is in this new compartment and they are all of the the coo and and the folks that he has like planted this narrative with are turning against them saying like you're fucking infected get out of here you just put all of our lives in danger yep um people buy into that narrative they all at least outwardly appear to be wealthy people um and so they buy into that narrative pretty easily to to gain their own comfort and they tell them that they need to go to yet another car ahead of them the car yeah they want to stay in this car Mm -hmm. that's next to the fucking zombies Uh uh and they want all these people who are supposedly infected to go into the car ahead of them. So these dumbasses are so focused on just being in control and getting these guys out of this damn car that they're not even realizing the situation that they're putting themselves in. They're literally sandwiching themselves with what they assume to be possibly infected zombies and 100% zombies. (laughs) Fucking zombie Oreo. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid asses in the middle. That's the next art print is a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yep. And so, and then this leads to like one of my favorite scenes in this film, which is the, the surviving older sister. Wait. So also too, they're locking, because I want to point this out. They're locking uh, 
the supposed infected people in the car ahead of them Mm -hmm. with like ties shirts Mm -hmm. all these things and the fucking ceo was like grab give me whatever you have this motherfucker didn't take off one fucking article (laughs) of clothing Uh to lock the goddamn door but yeah, they're so fixated on locking out the infected people that they're not paying attention to what's going on in the back of the car, mm-hmm. which continue my love. <laughs> which is when um, the surviving older sister is looking across the door, looking through the glass of the door, seeing her her now zombified sister and also looking around at the people who she is now surrounding herself with. Like she is now amongst the people who tried to lock this group out, who after they got through, then pushed them out and yelled at them and was like making this little girl cry. Mm-hmm. And she's just thinking to herself, at least my interpretation is she is just thinking to herself like, fuck this. If this is who we are, then let it burn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I appreciated that so much. Mm-hmm. So much. And she casually gets up and she is like talking to her sister. You know, she's talking to herself, but as if she's talking to her sister. And she just walks over and opens up the fucking door. <laughs> she just lets mm-hmm. all them zombies in. And that piece of shit COO didn't even notice until like the very last the minute. very last second where he's like, get her, like mm-hmm. get her, stop her. And he survives. He <sighs> survives. We don't see it until later, mm-hmm. but him and his little sidekick fucking hid in the bathroom mm-hmm. and they survived and mm-hmm. everybody else died. Which I think is is perfectly appropriate. Because if this is a film that is that is criticizing society and it's going to be in any way realistic, isn't it actually realistic that those that group of people would survive? That indeed it would be the like totally selfish, self-centered, wealthy elite who will do everything they can to sacrifice everyone else before they are ever inconvenienced. Yep. Like, it's just accurate. Um, but she lets but him But it gets in. you fucking mad. Oh, It just gets God, you yes. mad because you're like, I wish you were the first face that they fucking chewed <laughs> off. <laughs> um, and they hear all of this. The, you know, the, the father and daughter and everyone hears all this in the, in the car to head. Um, and like we said, that's when they then make a stop and they have to transfer trains. And in that transfer of trains, we also have the... Um, the baseball teenager couple um, who we lose and we lose the uh, the homeless gentleman and we get to that kind of grand finale where you have father of the year running with his daughter. Um, but you also have the, uh, the pregnant woman who has survived as well running towards that last engine train. Um, and then, like I said... It ends with this kind of face-off between the COO, who is now bitten and, and zombified. Yeah, and it, it's weird, though. So they, they get to this... They had to go through hell to try and figure out to get to this last train. And what's sad is prior to them getting there, um, 
the poor conductor who's just like, I'm going to try and Yo, get as many. Yo, he did his damnedest. He's like, I'm going to try and get as many freaking survivors <laughs> to Busan as I can. Yeah. This is my goddamn mission. And like, he's jumping from train to train to try and figure out one. He finally finds one. Mm-hmm. He's tut tut in a way. And he sees this one fucking survivor running towards him, getting chased by fucking zombies. And the dude snaps his fucking ankle on the track. And who is it? That COO piece of shit. (laughs) He jumps off. The conductor jumps off his train Mm -hmm. to save him. And this motherfucker face plants him to the ground Mm -hmm. to save his damn self. All of a sudden, his ankle worked. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. He snapped that shit. All of a sudden, he can run. Mm -hmm. Leaves the conductor to die. As yep. he's screaming, help me, help me. Yep. And jumps his ass on the damn train. Yeah. So, yeah. So, towards one of the, towards the last scenes as, you know, father of the year, Suan, and preggers with the gummy worms mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> are on the last train, you see the conductor, not the conductor, the COO guy pop out and his eyes are the white, like, glazed overness. So, like... You can see he's turning into a zombie, mm-hmm. but he's still talking. He's still yeah. and like zombies can't open doors. They made that noticeable that was one in of the this rules. thing. Yeah. That was one of the rules. They yeah. can't open. They can't like turn handles or anything like that. But he which turns, is fine. And we talked about this in previous episodes. Like, as long you can set a rule that I don't believe in. <laughs> yeah. But as long as you are consistent with it, and I will give it to them. Yes. They were so consistent. you you question the consistency, right? Yeah. Because. This motherfucker opened a door and he looks like a damn zombie. (laughs) But you can see when he comes out, he's still talking. Mm -hmm. He's in the process of fully becoming zombie. He's talking about like his childhood. He's talking like a child. He's talking like a child. He's bring me to my mom. This Mm -hmm. is not happening to me. And like they kind of point at him and he realizes like, fuck, I'm turning. Mm -hmm. And he's begging like, bring me to my mom. Do this. And it's like, why should I fucking do shit for you? But okay, so this is where like. This is where, like, I get mad, but at the same time, I totally understand why, why like, the the directorial decision was to do this. Because if that was, like, you or I, right, what would we do in that moment? What? To that COO. Kick him off the fucking train? Yeah. Like, in a second. Oh, absolutely. You have been a ruthless, self-centered piece of shit. Kick him in his zombie balls. But isn't it accurate and, and isn't? Doesn't it hold true to the character that father of the year wouldn't do that? Because isn't he just one step away from that being that guy? Like Yes. Yes, but I think they were still trying to not that it worked and they know, like the directors know this wasn't gonna work, but they were trying to bring like a little bit of like humanness to him, I guess. Like To who, the COO? Yeah. Like that one, bring me to my mom. Shut the fuck up, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I don't know. But the dude's a piece of shit. That's all I say. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So there's that whole thing. And then it's like the face off of the father realizing, like, I need to protect my child and this woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, in the process, he gets bit. Oh, shucks. I felt a little <laughs> bad. I felt bad, but not at all for him. So, I felt bad for Suan. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where you're real. Like, I felt bad for Suan. Where your empathy hits is. because and you know, props to that kid 
because she's maybe like what as eight, an actress holy eight, hell 10 years old Whew. and she is like acting her little kid heart out and yeah. like sobbing and crying and i'm like that is exactly what i feel like anybody especially a child who she knows her dad's a piece of shit mm -hmm. but kids see their parents being pieces of shits all the time mm -hmm. and they still have that love for them because yeah. they they don't know you yeah. know they don't have that that judgment yet all they see is their parent regardless of you know what they do it's yeah. sad yeah. um and she's just fucking sobbing still wanting to get to him and everything and that woman just has to like has to hold her back and mm -hmm. it's just it killed me i was like my heart Mm -hmm. my heart she's so fucking cute yeah for I her can't. for her for her that was that was where the empathy lands for sure for sure i'll, I'll be honest though like w first watch of this film after the like emotional hit of like oh no she's losing her father i was so thrilled that they took this direction only because like how oh, yeah. many times if this was i feel like if this was an american movie i he would have still he fucking made survived. it somehow he would have been that one asshole that for some reason didn't turn because he has like the antibody or something i don't know yeah yeah he would have been something would have happened he would have been brad pitt and they were just like, like nope we going for the fields so then you see him you know he in his half zombie state mm -hmm. brings her to the front of the train brings the pregnant lady to the front of the train they know what they have to do and mm -hmm. he just does he kiss her yeah he kisses yeah. her says like he loves her and all that shit yeah. and he just leaves and he goes to the back of the train yeah and in the back of the train you see his body start to transform you see his eyes start to do the white gloss over mm -hmm. and the last memories he starts to have are beautiful memories of his daughter yeah. and it's like you start to think like when was the last time you actually thought about that? Yeah. You had all this time you could have spent with her all. And like the only memories you have of her is when she was initially born. Yeah. And they, I find it weird how they didn't play out like born one year old, two year old, like multiple yeah. memories. It's they, literally just the memory of when she was born. Mm -hmm. And I think they did that on purpose because he's fucking missed everything else. Mm -hmm. Like he's missed her whole childhood. Mm -hmm. It's just born to this freaking horrible ass day mm -hmm. um but then you see like he's smiling and everything he's having these memories of her and they don't show him falling off the train onto the tracks but they show it in the shadow yeah so they pan out to like the shadow of him on the train and yeah. it just falls onto the tracks yeah there's very select gore in this film it is not a yeah it's not super gory. it's not an overly bloody film um but it's very well done I think the shots well were chosen. beautiful. Very well chosen moments. Of yeah. War. But you're spot on. And, you know, bringing it, like I said, bringing it back to our current reality. How many of us in the past few months have, like, sat and thought about the ability to slow down again? And the ability to just, like, focus on what it's like to be around people that we enjoy. And, and I hope and I know that this is... You I, are in your COVID feels. <laughs> I so love like, you so much, but you are in the COVID field. So I know that for a lot of folks right now, unfortunately, they might not be in a place or in a home with people who like they enjoy being around. But but even then, it's just like this kind of constant moment of reflection, right? And and like you said, that idea I, that I all think, he remembers was her being born. Yeah, I think everybody in, in these past few months, especially, have 
thoroughly thought about and if they haven't yet are going through the processes of thinking about what the hell do I want in life? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going to make me happy at the end of the day? Because if the world burns, I just want to be happy. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, Suan and, you know, this pregnant woman have to continue forward. Um, so they continue on in that little train. They're tut-tutting away. They get to a tunnel and mm-hmm. it, it's just blocked. It's blocked by a bunch of zombie bodies and debris. And it looks like I think there was like another crash or something. So they make the decision to get out of this train and walk through the tunnel. And this scene, it, it killed me. It's it's fucking it's it's sad. Hard. So it's they're walking tough. to the tunnel. You know, Suan just lost her dad and she's holding on to this woman who's pretty much taken over her and the woman is also i don't know if she's having contractions or what it is but she's not doing well herself like all right so so like we have to bring this point up this lady is pregnant not like little bum pregnant like no she's full pregnant i think they mention in like when her husband was still alive that think she was like a month away or yeah. something i could be wrong so survived I'm, i know zombie train yeah super pregnant super pregnant has been through a ton of fucking trauma <laughs> and now has this little kid uh you know to, to look after it's all she has left um so they're walking down this tunnel suan's holding on to her just fucking sobbing yeah. like that little kid cry and it just breaks your heart and it pans to the other side of the tunnel where you see some, you know, some army men and they can see they're looking into the tunnel and they see the shapes of them. So they can't mm-hmm. see their faces. They can't see anything. They just see two forms coming towards them. So they call in, you know, saying it looks like a woman and a child is heading into the tunnel. Can't confirm if they're infected or not. Yeah. And the call is to kill them. Just yeah. kill them. So you see him looking down his rifle. He's about to take a shot and Suan starts singing. Mm-hmm. And the song that she starts singing is the song that she dedicated to her dad at her recital that he never even went yep. to go see. And that kid knows every damn word to it. <sighs> and she belted it out. And that is what fucking saved them. Mm-hmm. That's the guy didn't shoot them or anything and they run towards them. And that's how the movie cuts out. And I died. And I died. <laughs> this is why I didn't watch it for four fucking years. It's a heavy hit. Because I knew it was going to be deep, guys. Like we talked about, like when the dad gets bit, you're you feel, but you feel for the daughter more than you feel for him. And you're not you're not sitting there going boohoo, he lost his life. Like you're sitting yeah. there going boohoo, she lost her dad. Mm-hmm. But that tunnel scene, and just. Again, for me, it's it's that, like, it, it's exactly what you said. She knew those lyrics the entire time. She knew that song the entire time. Mm-hmm. If you don't think kids are paying attention to every single goddamn detail, you are sorely mistaken. And it saved their life because those soldiers would have yep. pulled that trigger in a heartbeat. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Korean movies, man. South Korean horror cinema I can't say enough. I cannot say enough. It's deep. I always know it's going to be good. I'm like, I don't give a fuck <laughs> if I have to read subtitles. The shit's going to hit. It's, <laughs> like, it's been amazing. Um, obviously, like Parasite has gotten 
all of the so accolades good. it deserves. So um, good. And he did the movie The The Host, the host which yeah. was not not host on Shutter, but the host from way back when. Yeah, yeah, the host from way back when, which is also on Netflix? Hulu. Hulu? Okay, Hulu. it's on yeah. Hulu. Yeah, Hulu. Um stream stream the host. That's... Stream the crap out of it. That was <laughs> amazing. They just always just just hit you. Yeah. They hit you in them them sensitive it's... feels. It's a it it's a cinema area right now that's like at its peak. It sticks with you. It's it definitely sticks with you. I've seen plenty of horror movies where I can't even freaking go back and remember what the hell they were about because yeah. it was just typical horror movie. Yeah. Same tropes and stuff over and over again. But this was amazing. I loved this movie. Yeah. I'm glad I finally song. watched it. Only took four years. Only took four years. <laughs> Four years in a pandemic finally. It was got you amazing. There. So yep. yeah, I mean, it, if you'll listen to all of this, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've either already watched it, yeah, um, and have been following along with us. If not, just watch it, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really good. It's it's one hundred percent worth the emotions that you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to chat for a little bit about chit chat, chit chat about cannibalism. Yeah, and about eating people, Delicious. and about why that is such a lasting symbol. Like why that is such a lasting uh, trope in the stories that humans tell each other about terrible times, or about terrible events, and terrible crises. Um, Would you I- eat a person? <laughs> Would you do it? Uh, like your face right now are we Kevin's ta- a vegetarian guy <laughs> so like he doesn't even eat animals so i guess my question is are you talking like Dahmer party we're stuck in the mountains Mm-mm. and not even for survival no? just to taste it so there's this guy who uh i think he got his leg amputated mm-hmm. and he asked to keep his leg and to like not put it in like formalin mm-hmm. and him and his friends had a party and roasted up his fucking leg and whoever wanted to try it tried it it was his own damn leg it was just would you try people i personally no don't think i would in that circumstance no <laughs> You're like, um, in a fully legal circumstance no. rather not <laughs> um, uh, and you know like so if you're reading into like evolutionary anthropology then people would say that part of the reason why cannibalism is such a big no-no throughout human history is that if you like the taste of it no if you going back if you eat human flesh i think it's an amino acid um but if you eat human flesh there is there is some chemical compound in human flesh shame (laughs) that will actually slowly start to dissolve and break down the proteins in your brain and it leads to madness (gasps) So yeah. you just get like mad cow. So you just get mad person. Disease, <laughs> so so you, mad human disease. You could not, you could not physiologically subsist on human meat. Like you would die. Your brain would melt. If you ate some of it, or if you tried to like survive off of it, because I like feel survive like, like not even just but like a consistent diet of it intake of human okay, meat. Yeah, I believe that. I think a consistent intake of any meat is not good for you. <laughs> red meat eaters uh-huh. with your erectile dysfunction <laughs> um i i you didn't even ask me i would not eat a person even if given the oh i knew that right to do it i knew I just that think it would be not taste good i don't really like meat to begin with yeah i couldn't be, imagine i think human would be gamey <laughs> <laughs> 
some venison. The hint of <laughs> Dunkin' Donut flavor or something. I don't fucking know. So I wanted to look into like why is this? Why? You're like, shut up, Desiree. Stop no. talking about eating people. <laughs> um, <laughs> why? Like, why specifically is the insult or the libel of, of, of calling a group or a person a cannibal such a long-standing historical um, human trend, right? Because, like, we can do the the recent history, and and like I said, like Dr. Robin Means Coleman, Andrew Subsadi, like they've they've looked at, especially with the Caribbean version of the zombie, and how that ties into colonization, fears of being colonized, but also like the um, the accusation of cannibalism that's tied to you know, narratives of civilization versus uncivilized people. But I wanted Car- to go, like... Caribbean version of zombie? That's, like, sticking in my mind. What does that mean? Caribbean isn't, so, like, Haiti, um, within the Caribbean region, right? Like, we think, obviously, of Haiti, but, you know, those same practices of voodoo and hoodoo oh, okay. as real spiritual okay. practices exist in the DR. They exist throughout, like, all of the I gotcha. I gotcha. So I want to go a little farther back than that, right? So, like... Zombie is a thing, but cannibalism is separate. And so why is it that the idea of something that makes you eat other people so fucking terrifying, but also makes you feel so lewd and dirty? Like when you think of the way zombies are portrayed or any type of like cannibalistic infection, right? Because we're going to go on and talk about cargo. Technically, they're not zombies, right? They're infected with something and we don't know what it is. But why is it that the act of being of, of something making you eat other humans is just so it, it's so debasing. And so uh, I looked through um, some of the research and really focused on this book, which was Europe's Inner Demons by Norman Cohen. Um, and what's fascinating is that that's a nice looking book. It's, it's a really nice book. It's a good I like book. That. Um, what's fascinating what's is that sturdy? this research and this study, it comes from trying to, it, it comes from a research institute whose focus was on preventing fascism and whose focus was on preventing, uh, essentially the scapegoating of minority groups that is so prevalent in lead up to fascist genocide. You know, obviously what comes to mind is the Holocaust and, and how that was able to be perpetuated through these tropes and so cohen goes all the way back 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 um and he's looking at ancient greece and he's looking at it at just about the time where like there's these three big groups vying for power there are the greeks the pagan greeks there are the kingdom the jewish kingdoms in that same region and you also have this growing cult and it's a I'm very sorry. every word is Greek. Comes <laughs> <laughs> <was> from Greek. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> I, I love that fucking movie so much. Oh god. Um, so you have the pagan Greeks who are losing power but trying to hold on to it. You have um, Jewish kingdoms in the same region, right? But you also have this small, very small but growing cult called Christianity, right? Cult. It, it is. It starts off as a cult. Like all major religions start off as a cult. 
And so what Cohen traces is how each group accuses the other of being cannibals, of eating other people, specifically of eating children, right? And like the accusation that you eat kids, you eat children, is such an ancient but lasting accusation that we see carried on throughout millennia of human history because each time you have a group trying to make another group look bad they're like you fucking like kill and eat kids right because baby the other other <laughs> white meat i'm sorry i can't right now. i'm fucking tired continue baby and so uh, and cohen says like it, it's not even just reserved for other groups sometimes we would just sometimes you would use it against an enemy an individual right uh and just so chomping on a kid or or just the idea that like you eat people right is enough to just totally disingenuate you from from any type of reasonable piece of society yeah i think it definitely pulls you out as not getting looked at as a sane fucking individual yeah 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 or in some way it drags you down a little bit yeah, it like brings e- that social status down. You're evil. You're just straight up yeah. evil, right? And it was super easy. It was super easy to accuse the the cult of Christianity of cannibalism. Like you think about one of the main tenets of Christianity. If if anyone's been to a Christian church, what happens as like the peak of of mass is the Eucharist, right? And with the Eucharist. According to at least Roman Catholic belief, you raise up the bread, you raise up the wine, and it oh, that's becomes that Christ a crouton thing. Yeah, and it becomes. I'm not religious, guys. I I didn't grow up Catholic, so I don't. Kevin has to explain a lot of this stuff to me. Yeah, um, which is wonderful. Dinner and it, time it was quite interesting the first uh, few family outings where I had to go to kind of church to like baptisms and stuff yeah. and the sit kneel stand. Sit kneel stand. And... Sit, no, He's sitting there explaining everything to me. And I, w- I was just mind blown. Yeah. I was just like, what? What yeah. is this? Yeah. So the, the so Catholic. Yeah. The Christ a crouton and the blood in a cup. Yeah. And, and, and Rome ends up saying like, no, 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 no. The Eucharist is, is like a, a legitimate, literal transformation of bread and wine into body and blood. And so when you have the early Christian cults saying, like, we consume the body and blood of who we believe to be our savior, you can understand that, like, the pagan Greeks are just like, the fuck? <laughs> like, every day? <laughs> and so, of course... As they're sipping on a cup of wine, just like, uh, Pagan what? Greeks in power take that and they elaborate on it and they make it worse and worse. And then it becomes, no, 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 no. The Christian Eucharist is when they actually take a baby and they bake him in bread. And then they like the bread that becomes Christ is is a baked baby loaf. What the fuck? <laughs> yes. And this was this is what that's why it's got so many rolls and dimples. This is what was the the accusation against the, the cult of Christianity. Right. And, and they cut it up and then everyone in order to become a Christian must must eat pieces of the baby religion blows my mind like but the thing is like and and in some regions of greece it was the pagan greeks accusing the christians of doing this in other reason in other regions of 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 
you know, Mesopotamia and ancient Greece and that, that region of Alexandria, it's Jewish kingdoms who are accusing the pagan Greeks of doing this. And it just, it's this circle of accusation and it all revolves around you eat people. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you know, and then as we know, Constantine comes to power, Roman Empire, Constantine comes to power. Don't fucking eat thy neighbor. Please. The Christians, the Christians take control. And what do Christians in Europe accuse pagans of doing? Eating people. You I'm assuming. eat people. You must, you pagans must consume other people. And the problem is... Was there anybody who didn't consume people or who wasn't... Uh, accused of a- it? Accused of consuming people. So in Cohen's research, he essentially points out like there is no group who at some point in history hasn't had this accusation like thrown at them. Yeah. You know? And it's such a base insult nobody at any point was like it's just symbolism dude the wine is blood the bread is body we're not actually eating it nobody fucking so said so you're that. saying with like with like christianity and everything yeah so or were they just like yeah we do anyway, <laughs> we fucking eat people on can the you daily. imagine if they're like you Next. fucking christians you eat people and they're just like uh-huh talk <laughs> shit get turned into bread <laughs> um, but I fill cups up, bitch. The thing that that Cohen's pointing to, though, is that, like, it actually doesn't have anything to do with with your legitimate belief, right? Obviously, the Eucharist, even if you believe, as Roman Catholics believe, that it is the legitimate transfiguration of bread into body, you still see it as not the actual consumption of flesh, right? Even when you have groups, so for example, like the cult of Dionysus and and even like cults of, of Hecate in Greece, which were like Greek pagan cults that did involve at times aspects of cannibalism, it was very small versions of it. It was, you know, very specific times or the documentation isn't reliable. The problem is, though, what this all was tied to was power, Right. You have a group who is losing power. You have a group who is gaining popularity. And so how do you stem off that group gaining popularity? You libel them. You essentially accuse them of terrible things. This is what leads to so much anti-Semitism in human history, right? The old, old European, white European Christian tradition of blood libel against Jewish people. We saw it in the Black Plague, when Jews are accused of starting the plague and all of these things. And then fast forward to World War II, you've got Protocols of the Elder of Zion, all these things. It's this horrid, horrid, it, it starts as anti-Semitism, it becomes racism when we look at colonization and accusing um, colonized peoples of cannibalism. But it's this horrid trend in human history in which we take this like, baseline terrible thing of eating people and as soon as we're afraid that we're losing power we accuse a smaller group of doing that thing and it sticks so often it's fucking weird and i know you're mad at me because i keep bringing it back to this but i can't help but say like there is this parallel where when covid was starting we're not fucking eating people out here no no but when covid was starting how many people on, whether on social media or even like on media outlets 
were talking about like the wet markets in China and they oh, were talking yeah. and it's just like, no, fucking stop. Stop falling for the same damn traps again and yeah. again. What you're trying to do is you're trying to other this group and essentially say they're responsible for it. Yeah. Like that's that's this historical trend that oh, if 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 we could stop accusing people of eating kids, that'd be great. And and now we've got sorry. Now we've got things like QAnon, right? And and like the hash- I haven't been following like any of that. So I, I'm sure you've seen people who are like hashtag save the children, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like so you've got people now who believe that there is Is it that like everything's like kid porn or something like the, that? So Am that I there is a track? satanic pedophile cult in Hollywood and in the deep state and the only person who is helping to stop the satanic pedophile cult that is also sacrificing children is Donald Trump. I'm done. <laughs> Can we not? I fucking can't with that orange bastard. No. But like this is why people believe it. Dude, this is why sometimes I will go for like days just trying my best to avoid social media because I, I just I literally can't anymore like the stupidity like how can you say this motherfucker is like the only thing that's saving children yet he's got kids up at fucking like with ice mm-hmm. stuck behind fucking bars yeah. like but people believe it and it's all conspiratorial thinking and I do want to shout out so uh, a great podcast uh, last born in the wilderness they recently did an awesome episode uh, with Jared Yates Sexton and they broke down they actually made the really really strong connection again between um you know the history of of like blood libel and anti-semitic conspiracy thinking with the rise of QAnon and how it's the same exact mental trap like it is the same bullshit conspiratorial trap and it's playing into people's fears it's playing into so many people's fears and i like I know people who are constantly posting like hashtag save the children and I'm sure that they're great people who legitimately care about kids and are worried about this stuff but you're playing into this ploy that there is a satanic cult that is out there doing these things. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Just no. All right, so let's start talking about the other zombie movie that we watched. So... Cargo, which is a lovely movie, also on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's mm-hmm. really good. Um, it came out in 2017. Uh, it was directed by, I have written down a Ben Howling and Yolanda Ramis. Yep. Is that who you have? Yep. Sweet. Um, I will briefly go over the summary of Cargo. <laughs> so you don't that, trust me to do it. Uh, it's not all given away in the all first right. 10 minutes not that it matters but um so we come into the movie you see this gentleman and his wife and his young child baby uh kind of floating on like a home a little home boat yeah what do you call those i don't know it's like a river boat loss for words today yeah Yeah, home boat river boat river boat house houseboat Houseboat. houseboat house river boat house river boat so they're just floating down away and um you can tell that there's there's something going on. Everything's kind of desolate. Uh, things aren't 
quite right. They see a family on the riverbank. You know, they're trying to wave to them. They they seem really happy to see other people. Yeah. And a guy just flashes his gun at him. Mm-hmm. So things aren't quite okay. Uh, as the movie progresses, you start to see that there's something going on. Uh, people aren't doing so well. There's some sort of plague that's sig- sickening yeah. people. Um, and it's it's pretty much this journey of this guy his wife who unfortunately passes early on in the movie and his daughter and his main goal in this movie is to get his daughter to safety to get his Mm -hmm. daughter to people that will take care of her because unfortunately he knows he's going to pass on Mm -hmm. um and it's just his journey along the way and some of the characters that he meets along the way to ultimately get to this goal boom done okay that's it yeah because we're gonna fucking talk about but how do you not oh no no. Okay. Okay. Go, do you want to hit it again with all your fucking detail? I don't have to go all in detail, but like you miss like a significant piece of this film. Dude tries to live throughout a fucking zombie o- outbreak to save okay, his kid. Okay, set in Australia. Boom. Yes. Set, set in, in Australia. Australia right? Hot as fuck. You have Toomey, who is who's Aboriginal, who is this young girl. I said he's gonna see some characters along the way. I'm not trying to fucking give it away. We're gonna talk. We're about assuming her. people have seen the movie. This is true. <laughs> this is true, guys. Because right, so that, that piece just, is integral. Let's just All fucking right. jump into let's it Let's get into These it. summaries are weird. They Fine. saw the damn movie. Hey, everyone, do us a favor. Let us know if we should continue doing summaries. Yeah, do you like Kevin's freaking long-ass summaries, <laughs> or do you like my short little gists of a summary? <laughs> let us know at some point through social media. 20 minutes or two email. minutes. You choose. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins? Um, all right, so... Let's talk. Let's talk at first about um, the kind of setting of the this this infectious plague in the background. Um, early on, so Andy is the name of the father. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife's name is Kay, but he calls her yeah. Blue. And like I, so I totally recognize that it does probably fall on us too, and our own like cultural biases and linguistical biases that I'm sure at some point in train to Busan, like the names for every character is laid out. And unfortunately, like it is, it was not something that was easy for us to catch. It was not something that was easy for us to, to retain and hold on to. And like, we own that we own, we own the fact that it was much easier for us to remember and write down and, and acknowledge that like we have like Andy and Kay yeah. and Tommy. But honestly, um, I do try and look out for character names mm-hmm. and I, it was difficult I, to drink. I could so. have been completely like oblivious to it, but even in the subtitles, they'll mm-hmm. usually write like Suan and then like whatever she's saying. Yeah. So that helps me a little bit. Yeah. But I really didn't catch anybody's names. Yeah. But I just want to own that, right? Because like it Oh yeah, I fucking own it. Yeah. Um so Andy and Kay have these like kits and it's so it, it was so weird to to rewatch this film at this point because they're called quarantine kits <laughs> i didn't even catch that you didn't see that? i just saw that it was like they had an abundance of medical kits that yeah. were either floating in the river that they were fishing out or that was already on their houseboat or wherever they went yeah. or at least wherever he went in the movie um you always saw these kits in they the background quarantine kits. and like at first you're like oh it's it's a first aid kit you know bandages uh some fucking neosporin (laughs) um that was not the case in these 
in these kits. <laughs> no. So instead, what you had was you had this little plastic watch that was a 48 hour timer. A um, Fitbit of sorts. Yeah. And, and it was pretty, a pretty death bit. clear. <laughs> Your plague bit. Um, uh, you gone die in 48 hours. And 48 yeah. hours was when shit hits the fan. You had 48 hours from the moment you were bitten or infected until the moment where like you lost control you were completely turned and his wife said it was three hours until you start to see symptoms yep and so there was that in the kit there was like a pamphlet that showed you what the symptoms were there were zip tie handcuffs Mm -hmm. in the kit there was a mouth guard like a bite guard Mm -hmm. yeah and then last but certainly not oh, least. The EpiPen of death. <laughs> this is like my favorite instrument. <laughs> Fucking like shit. My favorite medical instrument to just make a casual nonchalant appearance in the film. Because they're just like, oh, this looks like an EpiPen. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you, dear listener, have ever unfortunately had to like use an EpiPen or use an EpiPen on someone else. But just an EpiPen is terrifying because it's a gigantic fucking needle. I feel like if, if you took that, the, the EpiPen of death, and you shoved it in your leg, it must feel the same way as an EpiPen. So this is this is a brain spike. This yeah. is like, this is you put it to your temple, you push the button, and it spikes you through the, the your frontal lobe yeah. in case you're turned into a zombie. Yeah. And like, the first time we see this in the movie is when, unfortunately, um, you know, his wife gets bit, and she's going through the kit, just like, oh okay, you know, here's this, here's Mm -hmm. that. Oh, death spike. Let me (laughs) hide this behind the pillow real quick. (laughs) It's just like, damn. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about why she gets bit. Because he's a fucking liar. He's not a liar. He, they, um, Uh, I should say prior to this, uh, Andy and Kay um, are arguing about whether or not the best strategy is to stay on the river and keep moving ahead on the river or to get off onto the shore and try and try and find someone or something to kind of tag along with. Um, and Andy is, is pro river. Meanwhile, Kay is pro going to the shoreline and, and finding something else to do. Um, and Kay's strongest argument is that they're running out of food. Yeah. And so right as they're running out of food, they find this stranded boat. And Andy goes on to the boat and he finds, you know, just canned soup. He finds a, a bottle of he wine. Finds the boat. She doesn't even know at first, I don't think. No, she does. She does. But he says, like, I went, I it was safe, it was fine, I went and I grabbed what I could, don't worry. But he went without her knowing, right? Like I don't think she was aware that he was going on the boat. Maybe not, but then she knew afterwards, right? Yeah. And while there, he found a bottle of wine, um, which, as you could imagine, was a luxury good in the midst of the plague. Um, And so he had, like, wrapped it up with a note that it was going to be for their anniversary. Now, she, after finding the bottle of wine that he seemed to have hid in a tackle box, she decided to go to this abandoned boat herself. Well, he fails to mention, though, like... Okay, so this is where I think we're, we're, there's a little bit of an argument, right? Like, there was a rustling. There was something rustling. There was something, there was something going on, and he got his fucking ass out of there. He was in the boat. He was picking stuff up. He's like, all right, you know, I'm trying to get stuff. And something started fucking moving, and 
he left. Yeah, but like, he didn't leave in a panic. He dipped out the boat. He did not. It didn't present it as yeah, he left he didn't in a panic. rush his ass out of there. But they did show like something happened and he left. So this is where we argue because when she asked, you know, how'd it go? Mm. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you know, everything fine. Failed to mention something started to move a little bit. So I got out. Yes, he's protecting his wife's fear. I get that. So I don't think he was protecting his wife's fear as much as he was just like, he was like, yeah, it was fine. It was- if your ass went on a fucking boat in a zombie apocalypse to get us some food and you failed to mention to me something started to fucking move. So I decided to dip. And then I go. <laughs> so, OK, so here's the thing. That's the part where it becomes unbelievable. You wouldn't go. <laughs> What? On the boat? No. Fuck no, I wouldn't go on the <laughs> exactly. boat. Which is why I'm saying this is the problem. And so the question, but like, so- Everything would have been avoided had he told the truth. <laughs> Here's the thing. Why do you think she fight went on me, the boat? Fight me, Kevin. Fucking fight Why me. do you think she went on the she boat? She went on the boat because he said it was safe. No. See, I and don't- And she was like, okay. She, he, one, let's start some bullet points. One, <laughs> he said it was safe. Two, Uh she knows his man eyes probably missed out on some good shit. (laughs) So she's going to get some good shit. And three, yeah, she's got that pressure of, damn, my husband got me a nice ass bottle of wine. Yeah. So, you know, he did something sweet during such these shitty times. I want to do something sweet for him, too. That's where I think it. And and that's the part that I saw. Maybe it's my man eyes that forgot the other two. It is your fucking man eyes because those other two... had she said, okay, he said something moved on the boat, I don't give a fuck how much I want to get him something to, you know, counteract this bottle of wine that he got me, that means my ass does not go on the boat. Fight me, Kevin. I just, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I can't blame him for that. Unlike asshole father of the year. No, I'm not I, saying he intentionally didn't, like, he make he makes his mistakes and we're going to get to those he mistakes. He made a mistake. Like But I don't even see that as a mistake in that in this case. Like I think he did it not to freak her out. Like I think yeah. he was trying to not worry her the fact that he could have possibly been on the boat with something something could have possibly happened. But by him doing that and not being honest to her was ultimately her demise. Like Yeah. And spiraled into the plot line that we so thoroughly enjoyed. Yes. Um, so while there, she gets bit. Um, we don't see her get bit. We see Andy wake up on the boat with Rosie, their little adorable, freaking adorable daughter. Um, and he sees blood and he sees that uh, Kay is in the bathroom with a uh, a bite wound on her leg. And they decide, I shouldn't even say that they decide. Like, And, and this is this is my biggest criticism of this character of Andy is that he consistently takes away the autonomy of the other characters, especially the female characters and almost exclusively the female characters where he like takes away their autonomy to make decisions because Kay is like, listen, I'm bit, I'm bit. I know what happens next. It's not going to like, it's not going to be good. Yeah. She's Um, honest from it. And I think that when you get put in this situation of like reality, we're living in a fucking zombie plague 
when you get bit, you get bit. There's no healing. There's no nothing. Yeah. There's no this. That from the second you get bit, you have forty eight hours and you're fucking zombified. And she knows that. And he's you know going through denial. the first stage of grief, denial, um, and and he is making the argument that like they need to get the bleeding treated more than they need to worry about her turning into a zombie. Yeah. One of the things that You should have just dropped like if this happened to me, just drop kick me off the houseboat. Yeah, like, but I couldn't. Like you say that now, but I could could be look me in the face right now. I would three hundred kick you <laughs> off the fucking houseboat. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Swim, motherfucker. <laughs> no, it's hard. I, I couldn't it's, do it. Yeah. And especially so one of the interesting things about this film is is that forty eight hours is knowing the amount of time. Right. That yeah. was a pretty unique aspect of it. And it's like to the T. Yeah. <laughs> because you you almost get to you get to decide. It's it's a strangely it's a strangely sympathetic virus that like gives you the time to get your shit together before you turn into a zombie. Or zombified something. Um and and so they make it on or or he pulls off onto shore. They go and they they get a car, some gasoline, um, and as they are driving off, Kay is is she's she's showing more and more of the symptoms, mm-hmm. and I adore these symptoms. Like we talked about Train to Busan, the the unique thing of that film that it brought to like a zombie movie was the idea that they turn so quickly. The unique thing that Cargo brings is this like they turn so slowly it's like earwax it's like waxy pussy if you've ever woken up with that layer of just crust on your eyes when you were a kid it's that to the extreme (laughs) but all over your face and your mouth and your eyes crust over and like i think it's almost insectish yeah in the beginning phases of turning i think that's what their blood is turning into Mm -hmm. because as her wound is leaking she lifts up you know her bandages and she sees i think that's what absolutely solidifies it for her is when she sees that yellowing ear waxy gooey like substance yeah, yeah underneath the bandages and she tries to straight up jump out of the fucking car because she's like i'm done mm-hmm. like this is it i'm done i'm not bleeding out i'm fucking mm-hmm. turning into whatever this infection zombie thing mm-hmm. is you know save you and the baby yeah. and he's still like no we're gonna save you yeah so this is where this is my biggest criticism of andy uh is andy as white settler white colonial settler in that he is constantly constantly trying to control and constantly trying to take the choice away from everyone around him to the point where Kay as she's like resting against a tree and is about to to take the EpiPen of death to her head and she says to him like you can't control this this isn't yours to control Mm -hmm. for me that's like the overarching message of this film is is this idea of you know, especially white European settlers who, who have colonized a lot of areas fucked up all the terrain and, and we'll get to, to Tomi and and um, the Aboriginal community that, that's in this film fucked up all the terrain, committed genocide against the people who were there and 
and and then it's it's a virus you know it's an infection that wipes them out that they have no control over and goes against all of their concepts of being able to like use their capital and resources to keep them safe and so rather than letting Kay literally take her own life in her hands the ultimate in, in autonomy he pulls her up and and shoves her into the car yeah and instead of like going on her own terms dies in a fucking horrible way yeah they're driving down the road and everything and somebody ends up crossing the street which we figure out who they are afterwards yeah and he andy swerves out of the way crashes into a tree once they kind of all come to you know he's looking at Kay, looking at the baby the baby's all right um but then like Kay doesn't even know she doesn't even realize it yeah but there's a fucking tree branch she's going straight through her body she's just impaled yeah right through her gut right through her gut and he tries to grab it and pull it out and when he <laughs> realizes like just such a dude move <laughs> yeah like they my wife is straight up impaled by a mm-hmm. fucking tree right like there's no coming back from this like mm-hmm. that's what solidify like one of the parts that solidifies it for him which blows my mind is like not the fact that she's turning into a zombie but the fact that she's straight up impaled by a tree mm-hmm. smacks him into reality and he passes out yeah and unfortunately when he comes to thankfully she is still impaled by the tree (laughs) um but i think it's quickened the process i don't know if it's because of the bleeding out or what because now she's for definitely bleeding out yeah uh there's there's no doubt about that but you know he comes to and her eyes are you know completely hazed over with that Mm -hmm. kind of white cataracty zombie look Mm -hmm. um and the whole like earwax on the eyes pussy earwax coming out of all the orifices zombie honey she's fully turned at this point and what is he he's reaching back to check on the baby or to stop he's doing something reaching back for rosie he's reaching back for rosie and he gets bit by his wife by his wife yes (laughs) i love this piece like by his wife i love a good gut punch like that but it's straight up in the first like 10 minutes of the movie good here's this family mom gets bit within first five minutes next five minutes dad gets bit by mom (laughs) but like and we talked about this in our very very first episode when we talked about movies we loved and hated and i was like defending hereditary to the death and i was like i love a a good horror movie that is gonna fuck me up like I want you to emotionally abuse me <laughs> as an audience member. Fuck hereditary. Because, I, I still hate that movie. Because that's that's what I signed up for when I put this film in, right? And and the fact that that cargo was like, Yep, it's it's not only that that this parent's gonna get lost pretty early on, but that they're also going to like chain reaction the other parent. And it sets itself for a brilliant pacing of the film because we now have this like guaranteed sense of urgency for this character, right? Because he gets bit, and after he gets bit, he's got to put the watch on. He knows he has 48 hours. Like, yeah. that's it. We we have set the pace for the film from that point. Boom. Done. Figure it the fuck out. 
get the baby to safety. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which he doesn't even know what the fuck safety is at this point. He didn't even want to be on land. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. But and, and it's right after this. And, and the, the reason why he swerved into the tree was because of uh, a person who was there who afterwards you see has already turned into a zombie who's Willie um, who is uh, who is Tommy's father and Tommy is this young girl who's aboriginal um, and that piece plays into the rest of this film so like if the first 25 to 30 minutes are just like a good zombie movie after that it's impossible to ignore the social aspects of the fact that like now we were pulling in the Aboriginal community and now we're pulling in uh, uh, aspects of fracking and anti-fracking. And Tommy looks at Andy and is just like, fucking go away. Like leave my father alone. Go away. Yeah. And previous to all of this happening too, the camera was panning out on Tommy's point of view a few times mm-hmm. um, because it shows this young kind of like I would say like maybe preteenish yeah girl um out in the wild doing her own thing you see that like she sets up like this fake tv and remote mm-hmm. that she made out of stone mm-hmm. um she's kind of living in like a tree she's putting like mud and leaves on the bottom of her feet which yeah. we assume like stop sound Mm -hmm. come to find out she's actually hiding her foot tracks Mm -hmm. um she doesn't want nobody to track her especially like her mother yeah um and she's feeding something we don't see what she's feeding but you can see that there's this kind of like cave pit Mm -hmm. area and she's throwing like dead rabbits and things into it and something on the other end is consuming it because mm-hmm. um, you hear like the crack of the bones and mm-hmm. everything like that. So she's keeping something alive, yeah. um, which we later find out is her father, Willie, yep. that she's keeping alive. And she has left, you know, her home base, her family base, and her mother is searching for them. Yeah. And it's this juxtaposition like she's she as a character is like constantly presenting this juxtaposition of her own ways and also like very modern just coping mechanisms like making a stone tv was about having a sense of normalcy yeah and so next andy with with rosie and like baby bjorn backpack um comes across the most like atrocious character in this film um if if watching train to busan like you wanted to strangle the coo if you watched cargo and as soon as you met vic oh uh, hold on hold you on. wanted to fucking like put one between you're his jumping eyes. again oh you're jumping again oh tell me where i jump he meets etta first does oh yes etta he oh. meets etta first i loved etta etta um and he comes to he comes to a compound, which he was actually originally heading to because he thought it would be like he thought this, it was like a hospital. Yeah, he yeah. thought it would be like a well resourced compound, um, and uh, it was an Aboriginal school um, as well as a hospital. And he comes across one of the teachers there, Etta, um, who we are led to believe is in late stage cancer. Um, because at one point we see her pull back a wig and she has no hair. We can see the scars. She's taking medicine. She's taking medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she tells him like find this family and they will take care of you yeah. and the family is, is because she knows she knows he's bit like she knows yeah. he's bit she treats his wound for what it is for right now um, because she knows that if anybody sees that wound on him they'll automatically kill him and who knows what will end up of rosie mm-hmm. so she shows a picture of some kids and he shows she shows a picture of tommy mm-hmm. and she says find her and find her father and they will help you she mm-hmm. was my past student um but he he doesn't have the heart to say to her he knows willie is a zombie already he yeah. just says oh yeah i've seen them already mm-hmm. it, but it's because he's seen tommy and unfortunately willie zombified yeah yeah so then he leaves at a um, he knows he can't stay there for very long. And uh, then he meets piece of shit Vic. Then he fucking meets Vic. Um, and so Vic is the epitome of white settler colonialism. Like this dude, even down to like the gold chain. Um, <laughs> and and we find out that he was working on the fracking lines. Like he was working in, in the fracking industry, which is a major... Um, major kind of theme throughout this film where at one point even it the camera pans on an aboriginal flag that has that says frack off right and like anti-fracking and and the destruction of the environment through those chemical agents and even throwing it back to train to busan at the end of train to busan you find out that what caused the infection was a chemical company that asshole father of the year was his hedge fund was investing in yeah we completely skipped that Shit, yeah, that was a big and, part and, of the and movie. And so that was a big part there. And we Sorry, never, <laughs> in Cargo, we never Whoops. get told what caused the infection. But we do get the explanation from Tommy that, that the land is sick. And from the clever man, that the land is sick and the land is going to do something to take care of itself, right? And so we can, we can make the assumption that that's the connection to fracking, right? That, like, we have made the land ill. Um and so they come across Vic, and it kills me that with every other character, Andy was standoffish, except for white dudes. Like, Andy as a character has a lot of fucking problems with him. He presents with a lot of the usual bias and a lot of that white supremacist bullshit um, that I think the directors did a half decent job of getting across but it's it is still subtle in there um because the the guy at at shore at the beginning of the film he is all amped and ready to like say hi to that family until he waves his gun and with vic he doesn't really second guess vic tommy as soon as tommy said fuck off he fucked off like he didn't even try like this is a little this is a young kid the first time that he meets tommy he didn't really try Tommy was also with a zombie man. But still, like, you didn't... I, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. But, like, I'm also trying to look at it from a different point of view where, like, when he was on the riverbank, who knows when the last time he saw people was. You know? He was excited. He saw the kids first, saw the wife first, and then the husband came and flashed him a gun. So he's like, yo, fuck that. I'm not going to pursue that. Uh, when he actually initially met Vic, Vic was being crushed mm-hmm. by what were those things? I don't even know. 
Um, they, tanks. they were tanks. Of some, some type kind. of tanks was crushing him, and he was actually trying to steal Vic's car. And wasn't, he didn't know that he was stealing. Yeah, it. he yeah. didn't know. And Vic shot zombies that were behind him that uh-huh. he was unaware was coming up on him. Uh-huh. And more were starting to come down. Yeah. So but, Vic was like, "Fucking save me!" But when Vic takes him shooting, pow pow, right? And and just takes him over to like shoot down a bunch of zombies. And he doesn't really think twice about it. What about shooting zombies? Yeah, or? but like in in a way that you could tell you could tell that like he had a subtle hesitation, but this nice white dude is like telling me we should do this, and so they did it. You know? Yeah, but is it because that guy is white or because at that moment in time he's the only fucking other person he's talking to? I it's it's really hard for me to separate the two in this film. Because, like I said, that there's there is a conscious choice to set up this contrast between these white characters that we run into and the Aboriginal characters that we run into, and the ways that they handle this crisis. Yeah, you know, like it's it's too stark of a contrast to not be on purpose, and it's. It's worth us saying that that the directors, at least to, to my knowledge of looking into them quickly, like are not Aboriginal. Like they they are white. Yeah. And so that I'm not I'm not defending like Andy as a white man or anything, but I'm just trying to say like, yeah, is he feeling, you know, close to Vic because he's a white man or because he's just a fucking other human to talk to at this point? I don't know, but that again. I don't know. Why yeah. didn't Why didn't you stop and, I'm and sure try the and help Tommy more? Was there, yeah, yeah. But so he he at first works with Vic and sees what Vic is doing, and Vic is essentially um, using Tommy and using uh, a character that we only are, are told is the clever man, and then in subtitles are given the name Daku. Um, he's using them as bait in like shark cages in order to lure in the zombies, pop them off and then steal whatever was in their pockets. Uh, and Vic is, is like, he's pretty excited about it all. And he's just like, yep once. And I wrote this down because it says when things go back to normal, whoever's controlling all the shiny shit is who's going to be in charge. Right. And so, again, Vic, as someone who was already on that precipice of privilege and power in society, he can't imagine a world in which that doesn't exist. And so he's just waiting for that to come back. And he's doing what he has seen as normal before, which is acquire wealth, acquire goods, hoard a bunch of oil and and gas. Because when things go, quote unquote, back to normal. And nobody has shit. And he has everything. Mm-hmm. He will be in power. Mm-hmm. That's all this guy cares about. Flat out is power. Yeah. Like the fact that he even put a young girl in a cage, like mm-hmm. it didn't even care about her. Didn't even think twice about her. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Yet he thinks differently of the baby, like because he wants the baby for his wife to keep her busy. Like 
Yeah, but again, just... I can't, I can't ignore. You can't ignore race and all of this, right? Because God, like, no, it's because it's a white baby. Yeah, it's because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, Rosie is adorable, but Rosie is literally like pale, blonde hair. Because <laughs> I and I hate saying this, but like, there's even that one point where later on, when Tommy and Andy get away, mm-hmm. he screams into the air. You know, mm-hmm. you and that. I don't even fucking want to say it because I yeah, don't yeah. like it. I'm no. not gonna say it, guys. Yeah. Uh you know get back here or something like that yeah and it's just like yo fuck you bro and also fuck andy he could have shot that motherfucker while he was sleeping (sighs) i was screaming the whole time the first time i saw this movie and when we recently saw this movie i was like shoot him in the head (laughs) in bed done done deal double tap double tap save us the last 40 minutes of emotional hurt (laughs) um but yeah i mean even when vic brings him back to I guess his home mm-hmm. um there's a woman there who he states is his wife mm-hmm. and something's not right she doesn't want to kiss him she doesn't want to greet him she doesn't mm-hmm. want to say hi to him he gives her uh like a pearl a pearl necklace, necklace and how she symbolic f- fucking takes it away yeah oh wow yeah symbolic that's disgusting <laughs> yeah no in the sense that like uh pearls is like symbols of, of like domesticity of like this dude is is like white patriarchy personified oh i went the nasty way with it you're terrible (laughs) um Um, but yeah but also come to find out the only reason he got a hold of the necklace was because he ripped it off a dead zombie body Mm -hmm. um but yeah come to find out that is not his wife Mm -hmm. her husband uh was actually killed because vic locked him and his other what co-workers yeah like other co-workers in the fracking lines in the fracking lines and fucking killed them to save his own ass and then took her so Mm -hmm. vic is the dude who Mm -mm. i forget where it was in like the midwest who like bought all the purell and all the hand sanitizer like in march (laughs) that's that's who vic is and like hoards it in his garage to upsell afterwards (laughs) that is who vic is did that guy get in trouble for that shit surprisingly yeah, and he had to give it all away. Fucking great. Um, Who hoards Purell? <laughs> Americans. Um, so he eventually leaves Vic's compound. Um, and, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. He, he tries to leave Vic's compound. Vic catches him talking with Rainey about leaving and knocks him out, throws him in a cage with Tommy. Um, and mm-hmm. it's at that point that he escapes with Tommy and, and they begin to, um, try and make it out of this in some way together. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, he's slowly changing. Like he is becoming a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and back it up a little bit. The reason why he gets caught with Rainey is because he was, he's oh, accepted yes. the fact that. I'm going to leave Rosie with these two fucking people. Like, they're a couple, whatever. They're together. They have, um, you know, somewhat safety. And he goes off into, like, this little big-ass pipe thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to kill himself with the epi spike of death. <laughs> and Rainy actually catches him right before he does it. And she's like, listen, I know what you're doing. I know what you are. Mm-hmm. Um I will absolutely take care of her, but get me away from him. Like, I can't do Mm -hmm. it if I'm with him. Like, get me to safety, and then I will take care of your daughter. And then, unfortunately, that's when Vic 
catches them and yeah throws them in the cage with tomi yeah thankfully they escape they go back to get rosie to get the baby back that's when he could have fucking double tapped on vic's ass <laughs> but for some reason doesn't uh him rainy and the baby and tomi try to escape mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as vic is trying to shoot at him actually shoots rainy instead yeah because she protects them yeah there is and and i think we picked both of these movies for this reason there is this added layer that doesn't often happen in zombie films of of like having little kids in both of these movies and train to busan and cargo um it just changes the dynamic it changes the way that people act you know because there's this there's this real desire to protect these little ones and whether you do a good job of it or not like it 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 will change the calculus of how you react in these situations yeah um so once you know at this point it's andy tomi and rosie are finally you know kind of free running away from Vic going towards wherever uh, Tommy says there's something I have to do I have to go check on something and she kind of runs off and Andy's like kid like what the heck are you doing like what mm-hmm. are you gonna check on yeah um, and you see that she's going back to the place that her father was yeah. because she wants to go check on him make sure he's still okay and she looks up into the treetops and his body is in the treetops mm-hmm. in kind of like encapsulated in wood and everything. And her people, what they do is they bury people in the trees to protect them from the ghosts, mm-hmm. which is what the zombies are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and so I'll be honest. I, I souls don't get eaten. I don't, I in no way want to present this as like specific to Aboriginal culture and not made up for this film. Cause I legit just don't know enough. I don't know. Yeah. No. I don't know enough. So. But they, you can see that their tradition is to save the souls of their mm-hmm. people. They bury them in the trees, mm-hmm. like high up in the trees so that the zombies don't eat them mm-hmm. and take their souls. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in his, the movie at least. Yeah. In the movie at least. And his jacket is hanging on the tree. Mm-hmm. And she knows her family did it. Like mm-hmm. she knows it's them that did it obviously and everything. And she is up set she's sad she feels like she failed him she could have gotten him to the clever man sooner and everything Mm -hmm. for him to hopefully be saved um and she starts like hitting herself on the head Mm -hmm. with a rock as like it's like a self-inflicted pain and everything yeah and she later explains it as you know the pain on her head that she inflicted as it heals hopefully the pain in her heart will heal too Mm-hmm. Um, it was so sad. But but she makes a good point there where she's just like, I should have been here instead I was helping you. And like I couldn't help but think to myself, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and and asking the question of did Andy deserve the help? And I don't like I don't have a good answer to that question. I, I kinda don't think so. Like I think But then you think of like fate and stuff. Her dad's fate was eventually to die he was a zombie Mm -hmm. there's no coming back from that even her people know there's no coming back from that Mm -hmm. they're killing them left and right to protect themselves yeah so obviously if there was coming back from that they would have performed it sooner like especially when they saw him they would have i don't know if they had seen him though that's the thing is i think she was hiding him 
No, I know, but I'm saying like re- obviously yeah. like they knew it was him. They oh, hung his gotcha, jacket gotcha. and the thing mm-hmm. and everything. So wouldn't don't you think they would have performed anything if they could have saved him? Yes. I know. I know, but I still She think... had that same mindset that Andy had with his wife. She was in denial. Yes, for sure. But I guess my thing is like should Tommy have ever bothered with Andy? Yes. Why? Because of Rosie. Why? Because of fate. Because of the innocence of a child. I get that. That baby would have died. I know. It's terrible. Like I, It is terrible. I, because at the end of the day, she shouldn't be helping the white man. Not and, and that's in that moment of that scene where she's like, I shouldn't have been helping you. That's exactly what I heard was just like this question of like, but where were you? And even prior to that, right, when um, when Vic has her has Tommy locked up in the cage, the directors juxtapose Tommy in the cage at night with zombies surrounding her and Andy playing with Rosie in Vic's compound. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, so so your kid needs to be comfortable your blonde hair, blue eye baby needs to be comfortable at all costs. Yeah. That was fucked up. At all costs. Because at that point, he should have said, this guy is fucking insane. Listen, there's so many points he should have killed Vic. Like, <laughs> it all comes down to fucking kill Vic. Like, the whole zombie shooting thing wasn't fantastic. But, like, in those times, who knows? Maybe I would have shot some zombies for fun, too. But as he started walking towards the cage mm-hmm. and realized that a fucking little girl was being used as freaking bait mm-hmm. i would have been like dude you are insane the mm-hmm. second your eyes fucking close to go the nights <laughs> i'm taking you out yeah, you go like, night forever you go the night forever <laughs> like, i'm saving that freaking girl in the cage mm-hmm. i'm saving this supposed wife of yours mm-hmm. and i'm protecting my damn child yeah again i but andy had to go and be a little bitch <laughs> um but yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like I'm defending him or no, anything. No, I don't think. I'm just trying to see it from like multiple views. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and I think there is that legitimacy of like, no matter what, Rosie is as close to innocent as as you get. Like I she see is a baby. A baby. She's, <laughs> She's a, a little e witty baby. baby. Um, and so we move on from there. Andy and Tommy are trying to make their way across. Um, they're uh, actually trying to get back to the river. Oh, God. This was a heartbreaking scene. They make it back to the river, and Andy looks for that family from the very beginning, the one that flashed the gun at him. And he finds them. And what he finds is their RV with like cake left there that's still relatively fresh and he finds the dad with the mom and two kids kind of in the in the bush be back behind the rv and the dad is digging a hole while asshole while the mom is playing with the two kids and if you look you can see that the dad and the mom both have the little death fit bits on Showing that they've been bitten. It's only a matter of time. I didn't see the mom had it on. She did? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. That makes more sense to me now then. Because I was like, if he has it on, why can't he just off himself? Yeah. 
and so what he what he essentially shares with Andy is that like he he told his wife and kids from the get go that like he wouldn't leave them alone. And so he has a gun with six bullets and there's four of them and he's going to leave the last two for Andy to take. Um, and he does. He, you, you don't see it. You hear the gunshots and then you see the dad take his life at the end. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a tough scene. It was a tough scene. Yeah. Part of me too was like, Andy, dude, fucking step up. Like, you're trying to fucking find a place for your kid. How do mm-hmm. you think this guy feels? Take his kids, too, you yeah, know? Yeah, he didn't say a word. He didn't fucking say shit. Mm-hmm. He was just, like, looking out for his kid, mm-hmm. which I get. Mm-hmm. But these are two other innocent-ass children, too. Yeah. Who are about to get fucking shot in the head. Yeah. Yeah. That shit. Not about. Did. Yeah. Did. And Andy does take the gun, and it ends up being good that he takes the gun afterwards, because he runs into Vic. That motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that the, again, like inserting kids into horror is tough because it changes the equation. We talked about this with Del Toro last time, right? Like, as soon as you have kids in there, we're going to react differently. Yeah, it's a whole other level of mm. pain. Just straight up pain. And it is. It's And defensiveness. Yeah. It's after that scene, too, where unfortunately, um, you know, that father passes away with his children um, and he gets back to Tommy and Tommy's like, I will take you. I'm, I'm ready to go home. Like, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go home. And like, you just see kind of like this bit of relief of I have a chance. Like, my, my kid might have a chance now. Like, yeah. if I can leave her with Tommy everything's going to be okay. Yep. So his ultimate goal now is get Rosie and Tommy back to Tommy's family. Yep. Yep. Uh, on the way to do that, he is slowly continuing to change mm-hmm. and they run into Vic in a tunnel. There is a scuffle. Uh, that scuffle involves Andy pretending to be a zombie against the wall. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I guess zombies have to hibernate, which Tommy was explaining to him. And he's like, they hibernate in the dark. Yeah, like I said, they have this weird, almost insectoid kind of thing to them because they also bury their head in the sand, in the sand right? For like their final transformation, like yeah. they have Which, to like, like become a fucking zombie ostrich and then <laughs> pop back out and rawr, get, yeah. just get people. Um, and so in that process, Vic gets killed, but Andy is also shot. Um, and as they make their way out of the tunnel, we later learn that uh, Andy and Tommy kind of make a deal of what's going to happen, which is as when Andy is like right about to turn, Tommy would turn Andy into like she was also badly injured too though cause she was Vic got a hold of her and slammed her head against the ground she was so she was also how would you describe well. what what they turned Andy into <laughs> like a I don't know you know those videos of where like people are on treadmills and like <laughs> in order for them to keep going they got like a donut on a stick yeah that's pretty much what they did to Andy so they took like entrails like... and they like wrapped the entrails around a stick and Tommy hopped on Andy's back and and they put they they took the the quarantine kit 
and they put the zip tie um they put the zip ties on his hands they They gave him the bite bite guard guard. Mm -hmm. yep and and then tommy essentially uses zombie andy to like a camel take rides him into the (laughs) to take her the final bit of the journey to to be back with with her people mm-hmm. um and that that last scene just gets me it kills me it's so sad the one where when they're about to kill yeah. andy so tommy's reunited with her family they're killing freaking zombies left and right and like they're covered in like this white smoke um which actually brings me to another thing uh tommy explains to andy that there's this like white clay mud that she Mm -hmm. uses to put on herself Mm -hmm. and it's to protect herself from the zombies and she puts it on the baby as well but doesn't even bother putting it on andy because he smells like them Mm -hmm. um so i think that's another reason why they're saved from the zombies yeah oh for sure because since andy smells so badly of a zombie because he is they don't bother with him nope and he has the baby on his back and he has tommy on his back so that's kind of why they're why they're safe amongst all of these brilliant. zombies it is brilliant um but yeah they ride into tomi's village they they notice that tomi's on his back they stop everybody from attacking mm-hmm. and as she comes off of him they're about to kill him like they mm-hmm. take the baby off and they're about to kill him and she puts her hand they do like an up close scene of her stopping them and she's just like wait like wait to kill him Mm -hmm. and she holds his hand and she grabs and it's so sad she grabs the perfume that belonged to his wife and he uses this perfume actually throughout the movie to calm down rosie Mm -hmm. because it's the smell of his wife it calms him down and everything it's their memory of her Mm -hmm. and he's completely a zombie now you know eyes glazed over the mucusy eyes all this stuff Mm -hmm. he he's not him anymore but she sprays that smell into the air for him and yeah. she holds his hands and you just see him and he acted this out so well. You just see him noticing that smell like he knows that smell and yeah. like, yeah. and then she holds his hand and then she tells them, okay, now and they kill him and it's so sad. It's so sad. And they do the same thing that they did for her father. They did the tree burial for yeah. him. They put the baby's mobile that her mom made in the beginning of the movie right above his tree. Yeah. And then they pan to, you know, Tommy reunited with her family. And now Rosie's going to be a part of this family and they're playing with her. And her shirt starts to lift up, the baby. Mm-hmm. And he had written thank you yeah. in that white protection mud on her stomach. Yep. And yep. I, I, I was done. Andy I was done. didn't deserve Tommy like no, it, it was just this ultimate point of like how kevin is so petty right now. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I can't like i can't with the mediocrity of like uh, like i said my like, heart hurts can you accept that yeah absolutely like they did it beautifully yes 100 percent. I, I get what you're saying i 100 like they did it beautifully i don't think this takes away from like the emotional the emotional reaction you have to the film or to the scene but i can't help but also be like mediocre white dude like this kid carried you i mean you physically carried her but she carried you like she carried your child to survival yeah god damn it it is a good movie it is a good movie it is a good movie 
and it was a timely I'm surprised watch. it doesn't I'm surprised it doesn't have more hype. So I think with both of these films, I tr- so Train to Busan gets got a, got a decent amount of hype. Um, they did the prequel Soul Station. Um, haven't had a chance to watch that, so I'll be honest. I have I can't have an opinion on that yet. Um, I don't know that one. But I think with both of these films, part of the reason why they aren't like I don't know so out there and hyped up is there. There's gore. There's awesome special effects. I think the effects in Cargo are phenomenal. Oh, that's right. It's because they're but both they're good not, stories. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're not gore fests. I just. They are not. They are not a zombie movie that you're gonna watch to see like someone who's half eaten entrails are like crawling across the ground, and that's fine. Like I, I am in no way shit talking that. I am just saying though that like I am. If, <laughs> if you can't appreciate a good fucking horror film or zombie film without needing just that constant stream of gore, I don't know what you're really in it for. <laughs> like, but I, I do think I do think that that kind of limited amount of gore is, is probably what keeps it off of some people's lists. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I love these movies. They're great. Mm hmm. They're lovely. I've been recommending them to everybody. Mm-hmm. Anything, any last parting thoughts on Cargo? Yes. It still <laughs> kills me, too, because, and here's just a light side of everything. I still fucking see The Hobbit. Like, anytime <laughs> I see him, like, it's it's very hard for me to watch uh-huh. this movie sometimes. Like, when I get into it, I get into it. But then I'm like fucking hobbit (laughs) yeah yeah martin freeman he he's he's fucking phenomenal like he's he's a phenomenal actor um and if you don't know like he also has a penchant for being terse and using a lot of curse words and flipping people off on flipping people off like left Um. and right (laughs) like there's so many times i'll watch him in things and i'm just waiting for him to just shove the middle finger up at you (laughs) (laughs) and so that's that's i think what we're going to leave this episode on is on you visualizing (laughs) martin freeman and you can choose to visualize him in cargo or you can choose to visualize him as bilbo baggins in the hobbit flipping us off flipping off 2020 (laughs) flipping off uh any any conspiratorial racist xenophobic bullshit just imagine martin freeman flipping that off and you'll have a better day yes and with that we are going to close the lids on this episode of the two coffins to speak podcast thank you so much for listening uh, expect a new episode out coming soon but please share with us in the discussion share your thoughts your opinions what did you think of these films what do you think of our ramblings uh have you made sourdough have you gotten chickens have you <laughs> done any of the kind what are of your like... chickens names guys <laughs> i'm a little obsessed <laughs> common covid um tasks please let us know but most importantly please stay safe if you're a parent uh whatever the kind of future you're looking at for your kids in terms of school and school reopening be safe talk to the teachers the teachers are doing their damned best to make sure that it's safe in any method yeah we're all going through this together guys every day is a different thing every day something's new you know Mm -hmm. we'll get through it Mm -hmm. but 
until we open the lids next time, take care, everyone. Be good. Bye, guys. Thank you.